So uh, before we begin, I would like to state for the record that today is February 11th, 2020, and my name is Ben Bauman, and I'm here with Ray Richardson in Indianapolis, Indiana, and we are doing an interview for the Indiana Oral History Initiative. So to begin, when and where were you born? 1937 in Logansport, Indiana. Okay. And what were your parents' names? Uh, Robert and Francis. Okay. Where is your family from originally? Well, they were from Logansport. Okay. And before that? Uh, I have no idea. I'm not much on... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't pay any money to Ancestors.com yeah. or whatever that's called. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, although my mother did, on her side of the family, mm -hmm. did fix up about a, a three-foot-long history on wow. her side, which I rolled up and yeah. put away someplace. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> All right. And what were your parents' occupations? Well, my father was the owner and manager of a dry cleaners in Logansport, and my mother mm -hmm. uh, assisted him with the paperwork and publicity, that kind of stuff. Oh, okay. Nice. Interesting. Uh, do you have any siblings? Uh, one sister. And what's her name? Carol. Carol, okay. Uh, how would you describe your childhood? Probably average for the time. Okay. Uh, uh, a little different today because my grandparents never babysat for me. Mm, okay. My parents uh, were happy if I went out the door and played basketball, baseball, right. and, and, and football. Uh, not like today where, mm -hmm. as a grandfather, <laughs> I'm constantly with my kids. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Uh, who would you say was most influential in your childhood? Give you an odd answer, Dwight Eisenhower. Okay, no, I, that's interesting. <laughs> and why was that? I first became interested in politics in 1952 when he was first running for office and had a primary, had primary contests against Bob Taft. Mm -hmm. My parents were moderate Republicans, mm -hmm. and so they followed and rooted for Eisenhower. And I remember we were traveling in Boston when the Republican National Convention was on, and there was a roll call vote on who was going to represent the, which delegation was going to re represent the state of Texas, right. and whoever won that was going to win the nomination. Sure. And so we pulled over on the side of the street in Boston as my parents listened to that, and I overheard it. Yeah. So later on, I started wearing I like Ike t-shirts okay. to school as a sophomore. Oh, okay. Interesting. <laughs> wow. So he was kind of your hero, I guess, growing up. Well, yeah. That yeah. hero's too strong, but okay. he got me first interested. Well, yeah. Okay. Role model, kind of. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Um, what? And you already mentioned that your, your parents were moderate Republicans. Um, did they have a, a big impact on your political beliefs as a child? Did you talk politics with them a lot growing up? or No, but my father ran for, was requested by the mayor to mm -hmm. run for city council in Logansport. Okay. He did. He served there several years until he strongly disagreed with mayor, the mayor on some policy. Mm -hmm. And to emphasize his point, he resigned from the city council. Wow. That was very important to me, to know yeah. <laughs> that yeah. you need to stick to your principles. Yeah, very that's important. interesting. Yeah, that's great. Wow. Uh, I guess going towards your education here, 
What schools did you attend as a child and teenager? Well, that was Logansport, Daniel Webster's yeah. grade school, and Lincoln Middle School, and Logansport High School. Okay. We remember the North Central Conference, which at the time was the most powerful athletic conference in the state of Indiana, we think. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's all broken up. <laughs> wow, okay. And uh, how would you describe your educational experiences there? Um, I don't know if it was just me, but I didn't do any homework. Okay. I was able to do what was required okay. without, without any homework, which is not the case today as I watched my grandkids yeah. bring home, and they're smart, right. bring homework home all the time. Yeah, it's so, tons of homework now. Yeah. And I, yet I finished in the top 10% of my class Yeah. Okay. Doing, wow. doing that, just getting by. Yeah, okay. Wow. Uh, did you have any favorite subjects? Math. Math? Yep. Okay. And that's cool. that's what guided me towards uh, a university. I, mm -hmm. My guidance counselor pulled me aside and said, well, you know, you love math. You need to become a, not just an engineer, but an electrical engineer, which is oh. math heavy. Yeah. Which is how I ended up at Purdue. Okay. Nice. Um, Interesting. And did you have any extracurricular activities in high school or...? Uh, tennis. Tennis, okay. Yeah, there were no other. I, I listen to the kids nowadays really pile on the extracurricular activities. Yes, and I yeah. say, whoa, they're, yeah. they're really preparing to get into a good university. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I played a whole lot of uh, tennis, and my uh, extracurricular activities came more in college, mm -hmm. where I became the president of the Student United Nations Association. Interesting, okay. And... Uh, Purdue also at that time, I don't know if they still do it, uh, put on a, a political convention mm -hmm. every year, except when the Student United Nations put on a United Nations assembly, where all the right. students would represent a state, and right. in the case of United Nations, they'd represent a, a country sure. and have a real session. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. Which was kind of interesting, which got me interested in politics. Yeah. Um, but then I discovered after my sophomore year that math was taking me someplace that I wasn't interested in. Oh, okay. <laughs> so then I had a long confab with my parents, and I suddenly realized that it was politics that I was mm -hmm. interested in, more specifically the gover governance yeah. part of, of politics. So I switched over to the Purdue School of Political Science. Oh, okay. Because my I couldn't transfer my credit. I was, had planned to go to law school right. because if you if you want to be good in politics, particularly government, mm -hmm. you need to have a law degree. Sure. But I couldn't transfer to IU because I couldn't take my electrical engineering credits. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to finish up and did finish up at uh, at IU. Wow, okay. Where my toughest side, I had to, once you get out of engineering, mm -hmm. you have to take a foreign language. Well, I'd okay. never done very well in foreign language. I, I didn't do well in, with Latin in high school. And the only class I was, I switched over to political science after the mm -hmm. junior year started. The only thing left for me was Russian. Oh, really? And I did not do well in Russian, but yeah. I, I did well enough to, uh, to pass. Interesting, okay. And, uh, was there 
so Russian was just the only class left over then. Well, they okay. had an opening, yeah. yeah, yeah. It must have been an interesting time, though, to study the Russian language, right? Well, it was, yeah. uh, because obviously the yeah. country was involved with Russia, so I said, well, this is not all going to be a waste. Yeah. But learning the Cyrillic language like yeah. that yeah. was as bad as learning Latin. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I can understand, yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's see. As a child, what were your views about the state of Indiana or being a Hoosier? Uh, didn't have any. I was just enjoying childhood. Yeah. Playing football, basketball, baseball. Not in much of an organized fashion because I wasn't athletic enough. Okay. Uh, and then I saw one time there was a pulled alongside a state. My only attention to government was... Mm -hmm. There was a, a line of cars pulled over to the side. It looked like they were having a flat tire or something. They were dark cars with darkened windows. Mm -hmm. And my mother and my father said, oh, that's the governor of the state of Indiana. Wow. I said, oh. <laughs> so that was as close as I, oh. And Leland Smith, who uh -huh. was secretary of the state back in the 50s, lived across the street from me. Okay. I never got to meet him, but my <laughs> sister was, was good friends of his daughter. Yeah. Wow. So I, I knew it was possible to get to a state office when the Secretary of State was living across the street. From, which sure. The only way you could tell, he got a special license plate. So I said, what are those? <laughs> <laughs> that is interesting. Wow. Okay. Um, let's see. Did you, so when you were studying math in college, uh, when you first started studying math in college, did you have an idea of what you would do with the degree or...? No, well, uh, some kind of engineering. Right. You go to school, you could, mm -hmm. the jobs were plentiful for engineers sure. back then, and I guess they are. I think so, yeah. Today. Yeah. And yet, some of my friends in college who were taking uh, engineering mm -hmm. figured, well, you get a big salary when you come out, but it doesn't go up after that. So they were already planning to, be, to move to a different part of, of a company once they. I said, well, and, and then. Uh, when I finally took calculus, by the way, they say today's kids mm -hmm. aren't as smart, but I wasn't even allowed to take calculus <laughs> until I was a so in engineering, yeah. until I was a sophomore yeah. at Purdue. Yeah. And now my grandkids are taking calculus, or maybe it's a pre-calculus, mm -hmm. in high school. And I'm yeah. thinking, yeah. today's kids are way ahead of where <laughs> I was. <laughs> uh, that's right, yeah. Pre-calculus and calculus are both being taught in high schools today, yeah. And the highest I got was what they call college algebra. Okay, but when yeah. I got to calculus was when I realized that that was leading me down a path in which I was mm -hmm. not interested. Okay, sure. Yeah, I think calculus can, can uh, change a lot of people's minds yeah. about yeah, math. Uh, let's see. Um, <clears throat> were you in, involved in any clubs in college? I think you missed the United Nations. Um, were there any other organizations? I was or? a member of a fraternity. Oh, okay. Uh, Kappa Sigma. Mm -hmm. uh, that wasn't very helpful to my education. It took up a lot of time. Okay. So I'm not sure whether I'd do it again if I yeah. had the choice. <laughs> All right. It, it socialized me. Yeah, sure, sure. <clears throat> um, so how did you view your college experiences at the time? Well, I was never just like kind of like high school. I was never made to work. Yeah. So I just okay. kind of floated through, mm -hmm. and until I got to law school, that is. Yeah. Okay. Law school was a little bit different. You had to study there. Yeah. Okay. And law school was a little was quite different back then. Yeah. 
Um, I went down to the law school at Bloomington and asked how I got in, mm -hmm. and they said to me, you sign here. Okay. You sign here and you're in. Wow. I said, no test? And yeah. they said, well, we'd like you to take the LSA, LSAT test. Mm -hmm. We don't require it, but we want to know if it really is a predictor as mm -hmm. to how your people are going to do in law school. Interesting. So I took it as a courtesy. They never told me my score or anything, but I assumed they tracked me to decide whether they should give the LSAT test. The trick, though, in law school back then was it was easy to get in, but it was also easy to get yourself out. Yeah. Uh, anywhere from a third to a half of the freshman class was gone. Oh, my gosh. By the sophomore year. Wow. But I think that's the best way to do it because there were some poor students who had an aptitude for law and some really smart students mm -hmm. who didn't. So yeah. I really prefer that. Now what's, keeping, now what's keeping them out is the cost. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> True. And, and the fact that it's very difficult to get a job once you leave law school. So if anybody asks me yeah. if you should attend law school, I say probably not. Yeah. I would have to go again because I was going to law school not because I wanted to practice law, but because mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to use it in government. It's right. Extremely helpful in oh, politics yeah. and government. Course, yeah. I couldn't have gotten by without it, so I would do it again. Yeah. But if somebody just wants to go to law school to make a lot of money as a lawyer, yeah. forget about it. Sure. Interesting. And that subject came up when I was on the IU Board of Trustees. Was oh, a yeah. Was a, was a tuition. I don't mean to skip around. No, that's okay. That's okay, yeah. But I brought the head of the law school in and asked why their tuition was going up so mm -hmm. much each year, like double the cost of inflation. And Miles Brand, who was president at the time, and the board was consisted of a majority of lawyers. Mm -hmm. Nobody was interested. I said, something's going to catch up with you. And Miles said, well, he said, Ray, we let them, and the graduate students, uh, we let the schools charge what the, what the freight will bear. Mm -hmm. Well, suddenly the freight caught up. And now oh, okay. there's a whole lot fewer applying to law school. Law schools are closing. Yeah. Like yeah. Valparaiso Law School is closed. Oh, wow. And other schools are closing and missing some students. So mm -hmm. they could get the money at the time, yeah. But it, it hurt in the long run. Yeah, sounds like it. Jeez. Wow. Um, in what ways did your awareness of politics evolve as you matured and as you went through law school? I was still a, 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 a chalkboard waiting to be written on. Okay. Until I got way out of school. Mm -hmm. Close I came, came to politics at, uh, at IU was I went down and volunteered to the local Republican Party, okay. and they asked me to pick up people and, uh, and take them to the polls on the voting day, and that was about it. So I never oh. had, never really had any more experience yeah. in politics until uh, until I ran for prosecutor immediately out of mm -hmm. law school. Interesting. Okay. And uh, did you have any conversations while you were in law school about politics with your family at all, or anything else? No, I was married at the time. Oh, okay. Uh, so we talked about it, but that was about it. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I just didn't. I just didn't know anything except that I wanted to get into the government and find problems and solve them. Mm -hmm. And that's remained my guiding light right. throughout my whole career: find problems yeah. and solve them. Yeah, that's great. Um, Doesn't that go over well on the IU Board of Trustees? 
<laughs> well, yeah. where, where, where the pro after about two months of asking probing questions about how does this work, right? Uh, he approached me and said, this was Tom Earlies, he approached me and said, Richardson, why don't you let me run the university and if you don't like the way I run it, you can fire me. <laughs> Ten months later, he was gone. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> and replaced by Miles Brand. Okay. <laughs> he didn't know how to handle me. I guess not, yeah. <laughs> uh, so what was your first job out of law school? Well, it was running for prosecutor. There was an opening in Hancock County. I, I knew I wanted to locate someplace closer to Annapolis and Logansport. I didn't want to live in Annapolis, but I wanted to live nearby. Hancock County had an opening for prosecutor. So I said, well, why don't I run for prosecutor and sure. see what happens? Well. It turned out that I was running in a slightly Democrat county back then. Okay. I came really close, but I lost. Yeah. Uh, but that's the best thing that ever happened to me because yeah. that's if I'd have won prosecutor and started mm -hmm. to rely upon the salary, I probably would never been free to run for the general assembly. Yeah. Yeah. So how, sometimes it's lucky when you. I was a lucky loser. As yeah. They, as they call it in tennis, lucky, yeah. lucky loser. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, interesting how those things work out. Um, so did you have uh, career aspirations at the time to get involved in politics? I didn't think I had the right personality to ever go really high up in government, mm -hmm. um, like governor or anything like that, so I, right. that, was never, that was never a goal, a realistic goal. So I just, well, I, again, I didn't know where all the levers were in government sure. and, and where I could be, where I could go that I could get done what I wanted to do, that right. is solve problems. Yeah. And so then then an opening came up for uh, the gen in the General Assembly because we had redistricting. Mm -hmm. And that was back in the time when the Supreme Court was first saying one man, one vote. Mm -hmm. And so a whole lot of districts were, uh, were, were, were no longer legal. Mm -hmm. Oh, and we had just finished the 1964 vote where Goldwater was a Republican candidate. Right. And Republicans were on the wrong end of the ballots, all up and down. Mm -hmm. And the, the state, uh, the representative, House of Representatives, only had 22 Republicans out of 100 seats following the 64 elections. Wow. And, and of course, we all knew that that was going to swing back the next year. Yeah. So I happened to be in a district where, after moving around all the lines, uh, there was a vacancy where mm -hmm. I figured I could beat the incumbent Democrat, but uh, somebody else wanted that, some other Republican wanted that seat, sure. and that was the son of Wendell Wilkie. Okay. I, I don't know if that rings a bell with you, but uh, he, maybe a little he, bit. Ran, he ran for President of the United States against FDR okay. in yeah. 1940 or 44. Yeah, wow. Man. <laughs> so people kept telling me, you can't win this one. Yeah. But I ran anyway and won. It turned out that he had, he had irritated some people. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, wow. So, so I, it, again, kind of fortuitous yeah. that I got the seat. So then it was just a matter of holding on to it for the next 24 years. Yeah, interesting, okay, cool. Um, so you mentioned that you you got married. When did you get married? Uh, immediately after I graduated from uh, Purdue, which was 1959. Okay, and uh, how many children did you have? Two. Two, 
And what were their names? Uh, Rob and Diana. Okay. And what was your wife's name? Well, uh, Rosalie. Rosalie, okay. But I'm on wife number two now. Okay. Oh, so <laughs> what's your second wife's name? <laughs> <laughs> Thought you'd never ask. That's a <laughs> Paulette. Paulette, okay. <laughs> Uh, so well, the, uh, Diana had the common sense to move to Florida. Oh, she okay. said she was too darn cold in Indiana. Yeah. So they moved. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Um, how did your family influence your career? Well, uh, my first wife was a very much actually in the mm -hmm. beginning. My first wife uh, was uh, in the School of Education. Mm -hmm. At Purdue, okay. She still had a couple of years to go, mm -hmm. but we got married. She moved, moved down or transferred to IU, and was able to graduate in three years. Okay. And start teaching while I was in law school. So she supported the family. Okay. Yeah. For, for a couple of years while I was in law school, mm -hmm. and um, and then for several years afterwards until I was able to make a living right. as, as a lawyer. Oh, you asked earlier, and I forgot sure. my activities. I was in the student senate. Oh, okay. For what I use. Yeah. Uh, the uh, uh, I represented uh, student housing or family housing. Okay. Yeah. I ran the first time, and I can't put on a campaign signs out and everything. Yeah. And I lost something like twenty-five to fifteen oh with, with thousands of people eligible to vote. Oh my God. So the next year I ran again, and uh, I, I called twenty-five people that I knew, and I said. You will come to the polls and vote for me. And I called them the day before, and I yeah. said, "You're still going to do that, right?" And they did, and I won with 25 votes. Oh wow, that's amazing, right? And so I so I did have a, a year's worth of experience yeah. in the in the uh, IU Student Center. Interesting. Okay, do you feel that uh, your experience in the Student Senate kind of helped propel you forward towards being interested in? being a part of another legislative body later on in life? Oh, a little bit. Uh, they mostly discuss student issues. Right, of course. But there was one student senator who wanted to steer the student senate to more uh, national uh, topics, like there was something called the Fair Play for Cuba Committee, mm. which uh, he considered to be a communist and he wanted okay. the student, the student senate, to divert their activities to something like that. Mm -hmm. And so he, the, the votes has always been the candidates has always been put up by either from fraternities, sororities, or uh, housing, student housing. Okay. He changed that. He put up a candidate uh, himself mm -hmm. and hoped that it would be the only candidate who ran. The rest of us who didn't want the student senate to turn to national issues yeah. found somebody else and he and he actually won. And that one student who we defeated, you probably will be interviewing later, his name was Steve Moberly. Oh, okay. And I became really good lifelong friends with him when he yeah. got to the, to the uh, state representative position. Mm -hmm. Very ironic. Luckily, he never mentions that anymore. Okay. <laughs> and that one student senator who caused that big upheaval later went on to work for Richard Nixon. Wow. On the same issues. He was interested in how, I guess, communist the, uh, some student activities were okay. on the college campus. And he, yeah. was, he was Nixon's guy uh, on college campuses. 
Wow. He went on later to testify before Sam Irwin, who mm -hmm. uh, was a senator, a United States senator, mm -hmm. who conducted the uh, Watergate hearings. Okay. So he was a, he gave testimony. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I was watching him on TV, and I said, wait a minute, I know him. <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, that must have been pretty wild to see. So that was kind of an introduction to uh, yeah. politics later on. Interesting. Okay. Wow. <clears throat> see, uh, what impact did your career have on your family? Um, probably little. Okay. Uh, the, um, it was just a job. Now, during the legislative session, mm -hmm. I was gone, came home late, had a late dinner. Sure. But that was probably, and left early in the morning, that was probably uh, about it. Right, okay. And I was earning enough as a lawyer to take over the, 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 the family. Uh, which wasn't easy because I was a sole practitioner. Yeah. Which okay. means I didn't have anybody to, to help me figure right. things out. Yeah. You know, how do you file your first divorce case? Mm -hmm. uh, the most thing, the thing I was most anxious in getting to, however, was filing my last divorce case. Yeah. <laughs> the, the more money you make as a lawyer, yeah. the more you slim down the field that you cover. Yeah. And I didn't want to cover a lot of things. Sure. Uh, so, so that was the. Um, so I, uh, yeah, divorce went out the window. Yeah, okay, interesting. Um, let's see. As you initially became involved in politics, what were the key issues or legislation you wanted to uh, fight against or champion? There wasn't any. When I went into the General Assembly, I really didn't know what I was getting into in the way of issues. Okay. I really honestly yeah. didn't. And in my first legislative session, uh, I only sponsored a very few bills, one of which was a local issue. There was a school corporation in my county that was trying to issue bonds to do some building. And there was mm -hmm. one person who was opposed to that. And as soon as they got to near the end of the bond issuance process, he would file a lawsuit Okay. And by the time the lawsuit got heard, the bond issuance time had passed. Mm -hmm. So they gave me a bill that said, well, uh, if you lose that lawsuit, you pay a big penalty. So I got I was yeah. glad to get, uh, to get that passed. Okay. Interesting. And by the way, back then, in my first session was 1967, elected in 66. Uh, I did find this out. Sessions went fast, and we started meeting in f January, and 61 running days later, we were adjourned, signing out. Wow. And I never came back to the General Assembly again until I'd gone through the re-election process in 1968. Mm -hmm. I said, where'd it go? Where'd that yeah. go? That was also back when they were... Um, uh, they had this so quick... The final bills got pasted and patched together. Yeah. No computers, obviously. Right. But they use scotch tape and. Oh yeah. And that's back when they actually literally stopped the clock. Okay. We got near the end and we didn't have everything pasted yeah. together. They physically, I mean, they go up, they stopped the clock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and wow. so it was really horrible, and we weren't getting any yeah. anything done. I was lucky to be a part of changing that, and I don't know why I was selected, 
but one state representative, me, who had very little seniority in the late 60s, and a leader from the Senate went to a national conference of state legislatures mm -hmm. in Wisconsin. I don't know if that was a regional meeting or a national meeting, but the main topic, the only topic really of that meeting was why the federal government was eating our lunch. Because they got together, they passed, back in those days, they actually passed laws. Yeah. This was in the 1960s with all the, the voting rights and civil rights legislation. And the Congress was getting things done, and we weren't because we didn't have time, and that, and that was true all across the country. Mm -hmm. So we resolved that we'd all go back to our legislatures and tell them that we needed to change whatever rules, laws, or constitutions that we needed to and right. start meeting more often. Sure. And so I went back, and the leader from the Senate went back, you know, Jim Gardner, I believe. Okay. And we um, we got a change in Indiana. And today, there's only four legislatures that don't have annual sessions. Mm. Now, in my opinion, we have overdone it. Yeah. It, it was nice to have. We had a longer time in the first year. Right. Had, to get things done properly, didn't have to stop the clock anymore, didn't have to paste and pass things together, and then computers came along, which made that easier. Mm -hmm. uh, but then the second session uh, was supposed to be for correcting things and touching up things, and but it's been turned into a f almost a full-fledged uh, session, which yeah. it was nobody likes, but they don't do anything about it. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have any state political heroes or people you looked up to? There's three people that should have been governor. Okay. There, there, there are people who didn't be, well, excuse me, Otis Bowen, mm -hmm. great governor, mm -hmm. and he was immediately followed by Bob Orr, okay. another great governor. Mm -hmm. Those were two outstanding governors. We made a lot of progress. And Bowen came aboard just after the, which amended the Constitution that allowed governors to serve two terms instead mm -hmm. of just well, one and out. Right, yeah. So Bowen was the first governor to serve eight years, and Bob Orr was the next one to serve eight years. And during those 16 years, they were very, very productive. So those were the guys back then. They, okay. were, they were really good people to have yeah. as, as governor. Yeah. But there were a couple people that should have been governor, like mm -hmm. Ned Lampkin and John Mutz and Dick Ristein, who goes mm -hmm. way back. Yeah. It didn't become governors, so we had a big surplus of people to become governors. I guess sounds like it. Yeah, <laughs> wow. So, um, let's see. So, when you were running your political campaign to be a part of the general assembly, uh, what did your campaign emphasize? You didn't do much back then. It was, okay. it was, politics wasn't what it was. I was the first one in my county mm -hmm. to put up any political sign at all. Oh wow. And I was also the first one in my county to have a mailer. Okay. Now, wow. if you don't have a, I mean, it's just yeah. base, basic to put up signs and, sure. have, and have a mailer. Yeah. And uh, I financed it on my, out of my own pocket. Didn't wow. cost that much. And I continued to do that. Um, and then it got really, really expensive. And uh, towards the end, I know a state representative from Indianapolis, who told me that his last campaign cost him five hundred thousand dollars. Oh my gosh! 
for state representative. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that is unbelievable. Oh, wow. And at some point, I did want to be a congressman. Okay. So uh, I talked to uh, two congressmen that I knew. I said, I'm not going to run against you. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me how much it costs. So I have an yeah. idea later on. And both of them told me ten thousand dollars. This was back in the late okay. in the late sixties. Yeah. And, and then we went over to $500,000 for state representative. Yeah. It's just, it's just incredible. Yeah. All, yeah. all for the worse, yeah. by the way. I mean, it, yeah. it should never have been allowed to happen. Wow. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. In a bad way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, 500000 That's that's <laughs> that is crazy to think about. Now, my last year, 19... 90 when I was up for a re-election, uh, the labor unions wanted to take, they didn't have anything against me, but they wanted mm -hmm. to take over control of the General Assembly because that was a reapportionment year right. next year in 91. And so they put in $100,000, which was a staggering yeah. amount of time because I was spending three and $4,000. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they, 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 she got time on the Indianapolis radio, which was unheard of in Greenfield, three radio stations. And so oh money, God. that was what I knew, that money was the future, unfortunately. Yeah, interesting. Uh, yeah, that's a, it makes me want to think of another question later on. Um, okay. So you said that you really didn't, there weren't really campaigns in the way that we think of them today. Um, and I guess your campaign strategy was just trying to reach out to people through mailing and and uh, doing that sort of basic things today. Now, who's your main oppo opponent? Well, uh, as I mentioned, my first, my, I had to get by the primary first, and that was right. Phil, Philip Wilkie, okay. the son yeah. of Wendell Wilkie. Right. And uh, the state the state Republican chairman who lived in the same housing unit as my mm -hmm. mother did at that time, my father died and she mm -hmm. moved to Annapolis, told me, he said, Ray, I hope you beat Phil Wilkie, mm -hmm. but you're not going to. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's, but, but later on, I found that the uh, people that he knew best voted, for, apparently voted for me. Interesting. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, did you have a, a certain thing that was most important to you as a candidate? Not, not, not at the beginning, as, no. I mentioned, as I mentioned earlier. I didn't have a platform. I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't know what needed to be changed. So yeah. I, I spent the rest of my legislative yeah. life and my IU trustee life searching for problems. Right. Ser right. Searching for problems and then solving them. Mm -hmm. Back then, in the 60s and 70s, you used to be able to get together with a few other legislators and discuss what the mm -hmm. really big problems were yeah. and discuss how to solve them and then you'd put a bill in and you'd pass it and mm -hmm. the problem would be solved. Sure. Can't do that anymore. Now you, you, you can't pass a bill without the permission of the people, the lobbyists in the hall mm. because they're the ones that are paying you to get yeah. reelected making campaign contributions yeah. and it's just a horrible, horrible system yeah. that needs to be regulated but since the the United States Supreme Court yeah. has basically said, you, know, you can't stop that. Yeah. You can't stop those contributions. Why well, it's very hard to uh, to stop. But back then in the 60s and 70s, we found the problem, we solved it. Yeah, interesting. And that's when eventually the uh, 
the, the, the sunset evaluation came along that helped us locate problems. Okay, yeah. Uh, we got together and we decided that it was kind of sweeping the country back then, except very few states really did it, but it was a way to evaluate every single state agency that we had mm -hmm. to see if they were doing the best that they could and that they were given the proper tools to do the best that they could. Sure. So in 1977, we passed the Sunset Evaluation Law, which put all the state agencies into 11 groupings, you know, like transportation right. and occupational licensing, and, and, and gave them a, a sunset date. That is, if they weren't renewed mm -hmm. by that date, they died. That was okay. to give us an edge so they couldn't now lobby us, so they had, they had to put up with our very annoying, must be to them, inquiries about how we could do things better yeah. with their agency. Yeah. And it worked. We got through 11 years. Uh, the um, Department of Transportation was the first one. That's now what has eventually become NDOT. Mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, we got the bill. We, the, the, the LS Legislative Services Agency did study for the year before then there was a study committee of legislators that went to, and we decided what we wanted to put into bill form, mm -hmm. and then we passed it. Well, I got the Department of Transportation bill passed uh, the House, and then it went over to the Senate, and the Department of Transportation, didn't, uh, who was run by a commission, mm -hmm. uh, didn't really like it. So they talked to the chairman of the committee in the Senate, and he killed it. Wow. So that was our first test. Either we passed that first one, yeah. or we were dead. Yeah. Uh, but we, we didn't have that, the sunset date to help yeah. us. But at that time, the Department of Transportation also wanted to issue a big, large sum of, uh, of bonds to do some projects in, in the highway. Mm -hmm. And I was also the sponsor of that bill that gave them the bonding authority. So when the bonding authority came back from the Senate, I put it in conference committee mm -hmm. and said to the Department of Transportation, you got a choice, either two bills or zero bills. Yeah. And so between really wanting the bonding and, and, and there was going to be a disappointed governor if they didn't get it, who appointed them to their position, sure. between that and, and the uh, sunset, why they finally consented, so I dumped all of the sunset stuff into the bonding bill and it all passed without any consideration by the Senate committee at all. It oh wasn't the right way to do it, yeah. but when they, when they killed it, why I had to, right. to do that. By the way, that was one of the big things we changed throughout the whole process. Almost every state agency was run by a commission, a commission appointed by the governor, mm -hmm. but the governor did not run anything back then. Mm. It, it was all run by commissions. Somewhere, some legislators got the idea that they didn't trust their governor. Okay. I have no idea when that was. Yeah. But they, they put a commission, State Highway Commission. Yeah. Was solely in charge. He was you want know, something done on highways, you got us to go see the highway right. commission. I'm sure they checked in occasionally with the governor. Yeah. But our thought was if you're gonna have the the governor responsible to the people, they hold him responsible for the condition right. of the highways and mental health and everything yep. else, that he needed to be the one to appoint somebody who would do what he wanted to have done. Right. So consistently throughout that 11-year process, we changed, we eliminated commissions, 
and, and made a department head appointed by the governor in, in charge. We reached a lot of Department of Natural Resources was really super resistance to that. We got a guy who was the basically the secretary for a couple commissions they had. Yeah. He didn't want the responsibility. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so he kept fighting and fighting and fighting. He just wanted to be the, the secretary general or whatever of the, mm -hmm. of the commissions. He, when we passed it in the House, he fought and he lost. He went over to the Senate, he fought and he won. He came back to conference committee <clears throat> and we said, it's, you're, you're going to step up and take charge of this yeah. or, or we're going to eliminate you, <laughs> the whole <Okay>. thing. <laughs> sure. So he finally had to take charge. But that was very interesting to find that that's one thing I didn't know, that all the all state agencies were run by commissions. Mental, yeah. mental health, education, you name it, wow. all commissions. That is interesting. Huh. Now, you mentioned the the role of, of lobbying, and especially it's today being much larger than your time in the, in the General Assembly. Um, did you see that increase in the in the influence of lobbyists over time while you're in the general? Yes, assembly? it really came on heavy towards the, the, the near that it got to 1990, my last year. Yeah. Uh, when I first went there, there were four or five really important lobby groups. Mm -hmm. One of them was the Indiana State Teachers Association, the Farm Bureau. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think who else, but there were only four or five that really had any clout. Yeah. But today, uh, you give your legislator some money and you got clout. Mm -hmm. Oh, here's how bad it got. On one of those sunset evaluation bills, yeah. uh, there was a, uh, I don't think I'll name him, there was a, you always had a Republican and a Democrat on it. Right. I was obviously a Republican. And I had a guy very interested in the process, a Democrat, who always sponsored the bills with me. Mm -hmm. And we introduced that, well, I forget what year it was, we introduced the bill, and he came up to me and afterwards and he said, Ray, he said, you're not gonna believe this, but I'm gonna have to not only get off of this bill, but I'm gonna have to vote against it. And I said, well, why? Yeah. And he said, because the, the, the person who collects my money for me, who raises my money for me, huh. there's one section in the bill that he hates. Oh, and man. he said, so I've got to get off. He, he provides my money for me. That's, oh, how, that's how bad it got. One guy could, yeah. could do that to one very committed legislator, just completely change him. Yeah. 180 degrees. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that is, that just really does show all the power that they had, yeah. And he was just one guy. He wasn't even the, yeah. the, you know, the ISTA. Right, right. With a lot of members, too. I mean, that yeah. was the real powerhouse. Yeah. If uh, the Farm Bureau had a lot of members, the ISTA had a lot of members, in addition to money. Right. But it was primarily, uh, the Manufacturers Association came along, they had a lot of authority. Um, but, uh, but, but it was all for the worst, because then you could no longer get together. As I said earlier, we used to get together and decide what would be good for the state. And uh, we had to fight our way through lobbyists to, uh, to do that later. So it wasn't that much fun. Uh, <laughs> and I, I had got updates on how bad it got because I had a, a very good friend, Senator Beverly Guard, for my first uh, 22 years, after my 22nd year, she decided to run for the state senate. Mm -hmm. She ran and won, so we had two overlapping years. So between us, that's 20, uh, by 24 she had 22, that's 46 years 
that we covered of the General wow. Assembly, and she kept me posted about what was going on. Yeah, yeah. And just, she, her, her news was always bad about the influence of lobbyists and, yeah. money, and money. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Interesting. Um, <clears throat> let's see. So focusing now on, on more, I guess, of your political campaigns, um, What was your first election day like? Well, the, the primary election, I just went down to the right. where they counted the vote and figured I was going to lose. Yeah. So that was very celebratory to, to do that. Sure. And then I, even in the general election, I could have lost. It was still a Republican district, mm -hmm. which became more and more Republican, by the way. I, I kind of accidentally moved into a slightly Democrat county, Hancock okay. County, after law school, but it became more and more Republican. For instance, there was one precinct around New Palestine that was, it was a single precinct for a whole township, Sugar mm -hmm. Creek Township, and within a very few years it was, and it was Democrat. Yeah. Within a very few years it had become 10 precincts, all Republican. Wow. That's how fast people were coming to the, all the donut yeah. counties surrounding Hancock. Yeah. They just interesting, and, and, and almost instantly we were Republican, and now we win our races by two to one. Yeah, and if if you're president running in Hancock County, you win closer to three to one. Yeah, but enough people bother to vote for local offices that they win by two to one. Okay, so interesting. Um, when how did it feel when you figured out that you won? the election to be in the General Assembly. Well, then I had to figure out what I, what, what, was, what was the next step. <laughs> so you're like, oh, okay, yeah, what do I do now? I, I went down and visited the staff and yeah. asked them what was up and how it was handled and when we met and where we met. They had just changed the chambers. Okay. Uh, just completely modernized. What you see today was mm -hmm. what I walked in on in uh, 1960, uh, well, early 67. And saw for the first time anybody. It was new chambers to everyone. Right. And I've got a photograph of the old, and it really looked like it was a loungy type area. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which it doesn't today. <laughs> and so it's been unchanged. And um, but but they, the the clerk of the house uh, was kind enough to show me around and yeah. tell me tell me when we met, how we met, how the committee system worked. So sure. Okay. But I still only had like four bills to. To introduce, uh, right, and so I didn't amount to much until I found out what some problems were that needed to be solved. Right, right, kind of a figuring out process. I can tell you about one of those problems, and that sure. was back then we had the, the you found the law that you wanted as a lawyer, as a legislator, in what was called Burns, Indiana statute. Okay. All the legislature did was every year at the end of the session they put out the Acts of Indiana. The, the, the 1937 Acts of Indiana right. in a bound book, but that was useless as far as finding out what the current law was. Yeah. So uh, Burns, Bob's Merrill, I believe, was the publisher of what was used, probably used to be called Burns' Indiana Statute and they never changed it. It was a mess. Okay. It was a mess. They would put things together, they'd put part of the bill here and part of the bill in another chapter until finally we looked at it and said, we don't know what's going on here. Yeah. And so... It was decided by leadership that we would look at doing something better than that. And again, kind of like the uh, looking at the question of 
of uh, whether we ought to be changing from one session every other year, mm -hmm. they turned to me and said, hey, how would you like to be a, the House representative on a committee that looked at the, um, uh, the, the burns and decided what ought to happen? So I was in on the ground level on that. We looked at it. We said that, yeah, Burns is a mess. Mm -hmm. So we hired a company out of Pittsburgh. Computerization was not much back then. Sure. In 19, that was 1970. Well, it was about 1970. But we hired this company in Pittsburgh. And, and between us, we put together <clears throat> what is now known as the Indiana Code, where we put things more logically, you know, all the criminal law together, right. all the city and town law together, the state law, uh, until we were satisfied. And then once we were happy, we took it back to the General Assembly in 1971 and passed it. Oh, okay. But that wasn't the end. <laughs> the, somebody sued and said, oh, we don't think you have the right to do that. Oh, wow. And the Indiana Supreme Court agreed with them. They said, well, there's a section in the... Indiana Constitution that says uh, regulates how you can codify things, and we don't think you follow that. Wow! So they said all you did in 1971 is void. Oh man! So we didn't give up. We yeah. came back and, and started going through the constitutional amendment route. Yeah. Which you have to go through th two separate sessions. Yeah. Uh, after an with an election in between. Yeah. And then it goes out to the voters. We got that done in time for 1975 session when we put the, the, the Indiana Code through again. And that's when it became permanent. Okay. One of the things I'm proudest about there is the, the table of contents. The index, I think, is a mess. Yeah. And, and hard to look things up. So ever since, as a practicing lawyer, uh, if I wanted to find a law, I'd look at the table of contents, which is beautifully put together. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and wow. so... So now we can find the laws, we can easily amend them. Oh, and then what happened, it was still, by the way, the Indiana Code still was messy because we didn't make any substantive changes. Mm -hmm. And things that have been scattered around, so it's kind of like the sensitive evaluation process, but the Legislative Council then took a section of the law each year, a chapter, a title, mm -hmm. and, and, and changed it around to, to, so you would at least know where things right. logically should be placed. Sure. So then it was easier to amend the law because you could find things with the table of contents. You could find things yeah. and you could amend it. So we have ended up with the Indiana Code today. If you went back and compared it to Burns' Indiana statutes, you, would, you, you wouldn't believe that we were even able to operate with, Indiana, yeah. with, with, uh, with Burns' Indiana statute. By the way, yeah. The Legislative Council was another area that was greatly changed. When I arrived in 1967, I believe there were three people. I know there were two, mm -hmm. because I remember them. Uh, Sam Lesh and Arden Chilcote were there, and they staffed everything. Okay. Everything. And uh, I ended up, there, was, there wasn't enough of them. I ended up, uh, when I became chairman of the committee, I, as a, because I was a lawyer, I was able to write, and there was a lot more lawyers in the legislature sure. back then than there are today, started to write the bills that came out of my committee and help other legislators. And it was a big, fat mess. Over the years, there were a lot of people added, and partisan staff was added as well. Mm -hmm. uh, partisan staff, 
Uh, instead of, as I mentioned earlier, we went from 22 Republicans to six, 66 yeah. Republicans in the 1967 session. Doesn't happen anymore. It's, it's, a, it's a landslide change of three or four seats are changed instead of what was that 44 seats being changed yeah. because of the partisan staff. The partisan staff sent out newsletters and uh, news releases, and they basically helped you get reelected. But uh, I, I didn't have the benefit of any of that. So, right. what, so what happened to me was, since I didn't have any publicity between the sessions or during the sessions, the, the news media wasn't interested in one legislator, and I didn't have any partisan staff putting out releases. Uh, I had a contest in the primary and general election almost every single time. I had 24 wow. contested elections. Because yeah. people, look, people looked at me, well, should I run against Richardson? Well, I haven't seen his name around. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I can bump him off. Yeah. And so they all ran and tried to do it. Uh, but now people don't run against incumbents because two right. things have happened. Number one, they've gotten their name spread around yeah. with all this publicity, and they've raised a lot of money from all the people who want to influence the sure. results of the legislature. So things have vastly changed, yeah. all for the worse. Wow. Wow, yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Um, so, uh, how did it feel after each election when you found out you got reelected? Did your feelings change, or no? It was just a lot of work. I mean, be yeah. because I had not scared anybody away. Yeah. It was a, it was a two elections every two years right. because the House members had to come up every two years. Sure. And it was just a lot of darn work. That's yeah. all. Uh, I got accustomed to it. I got into a pattern. Uh, I was prepared to at least to put out my newsletters, or not newsletters, but uh, mailers, they would call them today, and put up the signs so I knew what to do. And so yeah. it got to be fairly routine. Yeah. Um, but still, uh, oh, the president of the local Farm Bureau, I'm told by a mutual friend, really wanted to be in the legislature, so he decided to run against me. But he went down to the clerk's office and, and came back and told his mutual friend, he said, oh, Richardson does too well against primary candidates. I'm not going to run against him. But the fever got into him, and he went on the last day he filed. He just couldn't, he couldn't resist, and I hadn't He was the head of the president of the county council and president of the local farm bureau. Yeah. And I couldn't, you know, I didn't scare him off. Yeah. I had to prove it at the polls. Yeah. Oh, back then, there were no electronic names right. right now when I'm, I'm I'm running for county council this oh. time I'm I'm de-escalating de my office yeah so I just filed for county council but there's a, uh, an electronic list I'm going to be able to use yeah to send out my mailers yeah okay and uh, we didn't have that back then so my wife and I went to the clerk's office in two counties Hancock County and Rush County which was part of my district and we would flip through every page a voter registration to, to evaluate whether somebody was worth sending a postcard to. Oh, we wow. flip, and if he had been voting in the Republican primary lately, yeah. we sent him one. And we hand wrote it, I addressed it right there. Oh my God. pre-printed hand addressed him. And that got to be old. Yeah, yeah, I bet. So the parties decided to make it easier to have these electronically addressed yeah. ones. So I missed that. I missed the yeah. benefits of that. Yeah, it sounds like it. Wow. <laughs> Jeez. Um, so for these other elections, after your first election, obviously, which was uh, pretty new for you, 
what campaign strategies did you have over the course of your political career? Uh, that's too fancy a name to put on it. Okay. Uh, I just put out the, the mailers okay. and and uh, and the particularly in the beginning I knocked on doors. That's how you back mm. then you really got people registered, right. particularly a county where people were moving into sure. at a great rate. All the candidates would get together and we'd knock on doors and are you ready? Yeah. Are you you know what party are you? And right. <clears throat> if the answer was Republican, are you registered? Yeah. And we'd register them. So it was a real, mm -hmm. between addressing all those postcards and knocking on doors, mm -hmm. uh, it was a real pain to run a campaign. Sure. That's probably why I was able to win, though, because I was able to go, I was willing to go through all that trouble yeah. of uh, knocking on doors and addressing postcards and mm -hmm. putting up signs, ads in the paper. Sure. But the, today, ads in the paper aren't relevant. If you can't afford a TV ad, if you're not running for that office, yeah. <clears throat> you send out a mailer, yeah. so, or two or three. Right. So, uh, so yeah, times have changed. Yeah, okay. Well, when you were knocking on doors, uh, when you came across a Democrat, did you ever, were you ever, ever able to convince them to vote for you, or? They're, well, it depends on how they said it. Okay, yeah, that's true. <laughs> if they said, I'm a Democrat. <laughs> yeah, <that's right>. yeah. <laughs> but if they said, well, I often vote Democrat, yeah. then I'd introduce myself and say, well, maybe one time as a Republican. Yeah, okay. That depends on whether they're registered. Sure, if they, yeah. if they said they were Democrat, I never asked the question about whether they were right. registered. Yeah, interesting, so, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But it was the time. The times have changed. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, so, what were you thinking as you walked into the state house the first time? Well, because I visited beforehand, yeah. and talked to the clerk, it was just a matter of finding out where. Still, okay. still, still finding out where everything right. was. Where's the restroom? You know. Sure. Yeah. And and. How do you get a bill passed? I mean, yeah. how, how, how do you get, how do you introduce a bill? How do you get it prepared? Mm -hmm. I prepared a lot of my own bills in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, when do you have to have it introduced? Um, how do you get it, once you get it passed in the House, how do you get it passed in the Senate? Mm -hmm. Well, it turns out you have to go over and, not, and, and find a senator who will help you out here. And it, best off if it's a senator who is really interested in what you want. But you did a lot of trading. Yeah. You know, well, you take my bill and I'll take your bill. Sure. Uh, but it was harder to be in the House to get bills passed for two reasons. Number one, the budget started always started in the House mm -hmm. and took up a lot of time in the House. Yeah. And then it went over, which, which hurt us hearing and passing our own bills because it was in the house yeah. where our house bills were right and then it went over to the senate at the same time our regular house bills went over to the senate and it caused them to take a lot of time on the budget over in the senate yeah. when we wanted them to be paying attention to our house bills that we went over that we sent over to the senate sure <laughs> and then there were 100 members of the house and only 50 members of the senate mm -hmm. which means that it was easier for them to find somebody yeah. In the house. Sure. <laughs> they had a choice of a hundred. Yeah. And whereas we had to go over there and scrape around and find a senator who wasn't already besieged by yeah. a bunch of house members. Yeah. So that was a problem. Those were the things I had to had to learn how to find out. I had to get to know some senators. Yeah, it's to, quite to, the process. To, to, to do that. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. 
And did you, what were your expectations going in about the legislative process? Did you have any thoughts about what it might be like before you started it? Or? Nah, then I, I was pretty much ignorant on the process, okay. as well as I said earlier, yeah. uh, not that knowledgeable in the issues. Mm -hmm. I'd read things in the newspaper, right. but I didn't know what was going to happen in the next session, so sure. I pretty much watched. And then, as I told you earlier, the 61 running days were over, yeah. and I was out of there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so wait a minute, what happened? <laughs> but so I was better prepared and had more issues to work on in the, in the yeah. 1969 session. Sure, okay. Um, did you have any political mentors in the General Assembly? Not really. We were stationed uh, in the back of the... Mm -hmm. We were all grouped together because right. we didn't have any seniority, so we got to choose our seats last. So you had these 44 freshmen. And by the way, there were more than 44 Republican rookies because mm -hmm. some of the Republicans had decided not to run, and they were replaced by Republicans. Right. So, uh, so it, we were just a whole bunch of people who didn't know what we were doing, 44 of us who, yeah. who were just trying to make our... Our, our, our way. Yeah, okay. Oh, one momentous decision along the, uh, the, the, in entering the General Assembly for the first time in the 67th session was because we were changing from a re Democrat majority to a Republican, the Speaker position of the House was open. Mm -hmm. We had two people running for it. Billy Howard of um, somewhere in Hamilton County, Noblesville perhaps, was running against Otis Bowen. Okay. And I didn't know either one of them. Yeah. So they'd come down. This had been a horrible job for him visiting 44 rookie, yeah. trying to get the, trying to get their votes. So oh each of them came down and talked with me a couple of times. And uh, Billy Howard had Bill Ruckelhaus come with him a few times. Mm -hmm. You may not have heard that name, but he I, I have, yeah, yeah. You know who? You know yeah. you trace him all the way back to Watergate. Yes, yes. Where he fired himself, but he left the right. office. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. So he came around uh, with uh, Billy Howard. Yeah. and talk to us. And then Doc Bowen drove down from Bremen, Indiana okay. <laughs> and, and, and talked with me. And I had no idea yeah. who was a better person. I mean, they both seemed like good people to right. me. So I went down to the day before the caucus where we were going to vote. Mm -hmm. You voted in caucus before, right. and later on you formalized it in the sure. House session. I said, if I don't decide who to vote for here, I'm both of them are going to assume that I voted for the other guy. So if I want any credit, yeah. I'm going to have to make a decision and call them and tell them. Yeah. And I did. And I decided I'd vote for Otis Bowen. Uh -huh. We went into the caucus, yeah. and the vote was 33 to 33. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I picked my teeth up off the floor, and I said, what the... Yeah. <laughs> then in the second round, some people who had promised to vote for Billy Howard, three people actually, yeah. switched, and so Bowen won by six votes in the second round. But if I'd have voted for Billy Howard, yeah. Otis Bowen would never have been heard of. Yeah. And he was wow. never would have become governor. He never became speaker, yeah. obviously. Never would have become governor. Never would have become the National Secretary for Health and Human Services. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And, and a whole lot of things would be changed, and I'm thinking, wow, yeah. how does something like that happen? That's right, I mean, yeah, it's, you were definitely... A dumb luck yeah. choice. Yeah. It, was, it was the right choice because Billy Howard had to leave for Arizona because I think his son had bad allergies or something okay. something like that, yeah. and he had to change climate, I, I, so I understand. Yeah. 
So anyway, just dumb luck. Who, yeah. I, I got a guy who turned out to be really sensational. Yeah, that's a pretty influential vote there. there yeah. Accidental, just accidental. Yeah, amazing, wow. So many things were accidental. The, sure. The just running for the legislature at all in, in 1966 was, I just happened to accidentally, accidentally be available and yeah. looking for that kind of position. As I told you earlier, uh, I ran for prosecutor right out of law school and it was a good thing that I lost because otherwise I'd have been dependent upon the salary of prosecuting attorney in 1966. Right. And I probably would not have won because I wouldn't have won, I wouldn't have had any other salary. You can't go out and practice law on the side. Sure. And so that was an accident. There are a whole lot of accidental things going all the way back to my choice of engineering and Purdue and yeah. And then changing my mind, and uh, so many accidental things happened to me right. in, in my life that turned out off for the better. Yeah, that's that's really neat. Wow. Um, so, in which ways did you communicate and interact with your constituents on a regular basis? Almost never. Never. Okay. Uh, particularly in the beginning, because as I said earlier, there was yeah. no partisan staff right. uh, to do it. And I just didn't, I was too busy. Mm -hmm. uh, after the first couple of years, I got yeah. so, so busy. Right, right. Uh, oh, I ended up, by the way, pa uh, passing 600 bills into law, or 600, 200 bills mm -hmm. into law. Those were bills that I just not introduced, but came law. There were some yeah. that were unsuccessful. So, I was a really busy yeah. guy. Yeah, it must have been. Yeah. 200, right. 200 bills. Yeah. And so I just didn't, I literally didn't have time to, right. and didn't want to make time sure. to go out there and, and, oh, we would, the local chamber of commerce would hold an annual meeting mm -hmm. in which the public was invited to come and meet with us and we'd give a little talk to them and they could ask questions. Right. So that was really my only way of communicating, yeah. which, which today would be laughed at. Yeah, <laughs> I think the chambers still do that, but still, yeah. you gotta get. I I receive newsletters right. frequently from my legislators. Yeah, but they don't even write. Staff yeah. staff writes yeah, for them. Staff right. staff mails them. And sure. Yuck. Um, let's see. What was the regular interaction like amongst General Assembly members, formal and informal? Well, you had your friends, the people you really liked for two reasons. Number one, yeah. you really liked them. Yeah. And number two, they were on the same, same wavelength right. politically. Yeah. And then you had people that you knew weren't on the same wavelength. Sure. Uh, but you had to get along with them. Yeah. By the way, I, I, I learned never to, I never had an enemies list. Okay. You know, Dick, Dick, Dick yeah. Nixon was fa famous for that. Uh -huh. you, you just couldn't have an enemies list because yeah. today, you and I were together supporting the bill, and the yeah. next day we were opposite each other. One was voting for it, the other voting against right. it, and lobbying and trying to get people to vote. Yeah. So you couldn't have an enemy. I mean, yeah. you just couldn't have, maybe yeah. some people did. Now, I did have people that I was suspicious of who I didn't count on to, mm -hmm. to, to, to carry through, but that was a tiny, tiny right. number. Right. And and so you just got along with everybody, or pretended that you got along with everybody that you didn't match up with. Quite. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. It, uh, it it was a pretty collegial group. Yeah. 
On, on the other hand, let me tell you a story about uh, Senator Gard. She was trying to figure out if she ought to run in 1988 for the state senate, and she wasn't sure of her qualifications. She had a doctorate in chemistry, I believe it was, okay. and she'd been on the city council locally and was really into politics and knew everybody and yeah. was smart. And she came to me and said, Ray, am I smart enough, am I knowledgeable enough to be in the General Assembly? And I said, Bev, if you go out on the street and, and took the first 150 people that you saw and put them in the General Assembly, that the, 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 the quality of the General Assembly would not go down. <laughs> because these are yeah. just regular, right. it turned out, regular, for the most part, right, yeah. regular. There were some really outstanding people. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, they were just regular people, door-to-door right. -door salesmen. Yeah. I had a, <laughs> a bill that regulated door-to-door -door sales, mm -hmm. and he was, no, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> don't do that, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it was just a mix, it was just a mix of people. Yeah. None of them, or very few of them, super smart. I mean, you wouldn't feel mm -hmm. intimidated. The few that you would feel intimidated with in their presence were the ones who became, one of them becomes the, the, the leaders, the speaker, right. president pro tem, etc. Oh, one other thing I told her, I said, you got to make up your mind early if you're going to become, if you want to become a leader in the General Assembly or whether you want to be an activist and get bills passed, mm -hmm. substantive matters. Because you can't do both. Yeah. Because if you go in there and you fight and yell and scream to get your way on a substantive matter, yeah. you're going to make people mad at you. Right. Because a lot of those bills are really important to some people. Sure. And if you're opposing them, yeah. they, they, they do remember that. Yeah. And so you're never going to become a leader. Well, on the other hand, if you want to become a leader, you just have to go and be friends with everybody not make anybody unhappy. Just quietly cast your vote. Right. And then get to know people and get them to like you. Yeah. And so that I give that advice subsequently to... Uh, Interesting. Several other people. So, huh? <laughs> so, who would you say had more influence than the people that were very active and trying to get legislation passed, or leaders? Well, it was split this way. Okay. <laughs> Division of responsibility. Yeah. The leaders could stop you mm -hmm. or help you. Right. But they didn't do that on very many bills. Yeah. I had almost no bills stopped by by leadership. Okay. They. They, for the most part, helped me, gave me committees that I wanted, assigned bills where I wanted them to be assigned to, because I didn't make them mad. Right. But, and, and I'm sure there was some, and, and they were in charge of the, even though we had a budget committee membership, right. it all really came down to the leadership. So they pretty much ran the budget. Oh, you had to choose. You could either be a committee chairman or you could be on the budget committee. Mm -hmm. That was not a hard choice for me. Yeah. I didn't want to be one of 20 people on the budget committee. Yeah. I wanted to control legislation right. through my committee as much as I could. Sure. And so uh, so the speaker, on the big issue, the speaker was, of the House was in charge. Mm -hmm. And he could, could influence any. For instance, I, had a, uh, I wanted to, to make some the, the ch charitable donations to Indiana University were kept private and quiet, and nobody ever knew what happened to them. You could write a check to Indiana University, and you yeah. didn't know what happened to it. I wanted to make that uh, open to the um, public. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the person could scratch, the donor could, if they wanted to, scratch their name out. Mm -hmm. But the money, if you gave a thousand dollars, a thousand dollars was going to be there, and what happened to it was going to be there, open to the public, yeah. so we could at least see what happened to your money. Yeah. And. IU and Purdue both hated that. They wanted to okay. spend the money the way they wanted to spend it. Right. 
And so they got all my bills killed on okay. <laughs> because they gave out football and basketball tickets. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so, I, I guess that would do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the speaker killed my, every time I introduced yeah. the op this open record bill, yeah. the, the speaker would kill that. That's about okay. the only time I can remember when a speaker killed, yeah. killed a bill of mine. So, so the most influential people are the hard workers who don't hold a position right. unless you want to influence them, really make a really big... Or, yeah. or uh, decisions, or you want to run later for governor or something. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's a stepping stone. Interesting. Okay. Um, what were the interactions like between uh, Democrats and Republicans? It de partly depends upon the speaker and the minority leader, mm -hmm. how well we got along. I always made a point when I was a committee chairman to hear a couple Democrat bills first. Okay. Just spit them out early. Yeah. Now, I, I picked the ones that I like. I'm going to get to these anyway. Yeah. I spit them out early. So yeah. the Democrats couldn't complain, well, you're holding up our bills. But a, right. lot of, a lot of committee chairmen held up the Democrat bills. They, they serviced their Republican committee members for uh, mostly okay. first yeah. and took care of them. Uh, but I knew that was what I could get, could get to eventually. Yeah. Uh, but there were a lot of bad feelings, particularly in the first 50-50 legislative session, mm -hmm. where there were two of them, where there were 50 Republicans and 50 Democrats. Yeah. That caused a lot of bad feelings, partly because of the personalities involved, though. Okay. It depended on the personality. Yeah. Uh, you could get along if the, per if the personalities, if the leadership personalities mm -hmm. worked well together. But right. that didn't happen a lot of times, so there were a lot of some bad feelings but it wasn't like it wasn't like congress today right right yeah <laughs> by any means it's a whole new you level still, probably you, you yeah. still you still talk to him you right you yeah. went over to democrat was in charge you walked over to him, i really gotta have this bill and here's why sure and i'd, I'd get it passed i never had i never had personally had any political problems uh, getting bills passed yeah so <laughs> interesting okay i even had help one time the you speak from the microphone and front of everybody mm -hmm. and the minority leader sits right in front of you in the seat right in front yeah. of you and I was getting there was a bill on the, uh, the up uh, the sponsored by Democrats that would create a kind of an all-star high school for kids from across the state of Indiana mm -hmm. in, in Muncie Indiana mm -hmm. and I was saying hey uh, you know these, these some of these really smart super for super smart kids sometimes don't have the personality that can handle that being yanked out and put in a strange place. Yeah. And what happens if they, uh, you know, what happens if they are made worse mentally yeah. being shipped down to Muncie, Indiana? Right. And immediately I realized what I'd done. <laughs> I just said something negative about Muncie. And just almost yeah. instantly, the Democratic leader of the House said, or Greenfield. Yeah. And I, to me, quietly. Yeah. And I said, I said, Bill, what if they had shipped to Muncie? And he said, yeah. or Greenfield. And I said, or Greenfield. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and that got me off the hook. Thank, yeah, you. Thank, thank, thank you, Mike Phillips. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, what about the relationship between members of the House and Senate? Were there any differences? Uh, in my case, it was the, the leaders of the... Senate, the president pro tem, mm -hmm. the, the, the technical leader was the lieutenant governor who technically ran, hand down bills, that kind of thing, yeah. but it was really done by the president pro tem. Okay. So uh, 
they were generally pretty authoritative. Oh, okay. And that was a problem. Luckily, one of them represented Hancock County, yeah. so he felt he had to get along with me. Right, okay. The other one, however, was from Fort Wayne, and I was uh, interested to see later on that he got convicted of bribery. Oh, a bribery wow. or some other equivalent name. Yeah. Uh, along with my, uh, along with my senator, there was. Okay. I don't know if anybody's talked about this before, but there was a, the, the railroads had gone from steam, coal and steam, uh, to diesel <laughs> a okay. few years. Yeah. And yet the state law required that they have a fireman. Yeah. And so the the, the railroad lobbyists came in and tried to get that eliminated. Who needed a fireman? Yeah. So towards the end of the session, the bill passed both houses, but it was being waited on to repeal that. It was being waited on for the speaker and the and the president pro tem of the Senate to send it to the process, and the Senate wasn't doing that. Okay. Later on, it turned out that apparently that I read the paper that they had asked for money. Oh no. And uh, and that was later revealed, and they went to prison. Wow. One of them yeah. committed suicide. Oh my gosh. And the other two went to prison. Jeez. Uh, but that was that's, that's the only time I've ever expected any. Yeah. Uh, any, you know, I, I never suspected that anybody was being bribed about anything. Right. Uh, except that they were in. I, I think in, in my terms they were being bribed when you they received the campaign contribution. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Um. Let's see, did you have a sense of how people would vote prior to actual voting? No. No? Uh, I was always worried, even though okay. even though it was pretty clear it was going to be a Republican year, and I was in a Republican district, I still worried right. a little bit about it. Yeah. We, do, we did get some clue because there was one voting precinct in Greenfield whose machine would break down in mm -hmm. the middle of the afternoon. Okay. Always. Okay. <laughs> no exceptions. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so back when they had the big, huge metal machines, and they would break down, they'd have to open it up and, quote, fix it, and they would notice the votes. Okay. And, and so we all found out about mid-afternoon how that precinct was voting anyway, and we knew how yeah. that precinct, that was generally a Democrat precinct. So, okay. So that was our only, our only clue. And okay. then, then they went from the metal machines, and you couldn't do that anymore, so it stopped. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. That's funny. And what about uh, when you were working in, like, uh, in the House of Representatives and stuff? Did you ever have any idea of what, like, your seatmate would vote or, or how other people you knew would it vote? It depends on whether you needed a lobby for your bill or not. Yeah. Most bills, I tried I, I, I tried to mm -hmm. believe that I could get up in front of them when speaking to them yeah. to convince them this was a good bill and here's why. Right. Now, some of the bills, particularly the sunset evaluation bills, which were always big and complicated and contained a lot of bills within bills, there was always trouble getting votes for them. Okay. Uh, one time one came to conference committee, went to conference committee, and the Speaker of the House doesn't normally vote. Mm -hmm. And it came out, and, and I handed it down, I spoke to it, and, uh, and, and the vote was 49 to 49. I made a point of being st stationing myself right next to the speaker. 
And when he announced the vote on the conference committee report is 49 to 49, he was a, he was a rookie speaker. Okay. I was standing next to him. I said, uh, the chair votes aye and the conference committee report is adopted. And he said, the chair votes aye and the conference committee report is adopted. So I said, whoa, that was close. Right. 50 to 49. Yeah, that is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then there was a, a sunset bill that I lost by about 10 votes. Okay. And I had the remainder of that day, that was the last day, to go around and find some votes. Mm -hmm. uh, that was a day when the Democrats decided to embarrass us by killing some of our bills, just by voting against them. So I, so I had to contend against that. Uh, there was one Republican who always voted against Sunset Bill because he didn't like the idea of putting 10 or 20 subject matters into one bill. Right. And I said to him, you know, I don't have any problem with your line of thinking. Yeah. Uh, I don't have any objections to that. But that day, I, I went to him and I said, hey, Democrats trying to embarrass us. I would not normally ask you for your vote, but I got to have it. Don't let the Democrats do that to us. Yeah. So he said, okay. Okay. So it was, it was that kind of a thing. Yeah. But I didn't do very much lobbying for my, for my, uh, for my bills because I tried, you know, you got a pretty good idea what was happening when they came out of committee. Right. Because committee killed a lot of, yeah. a lot of bills. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So I did occasional lobbying. I made sure everybody, I, I liked everybody and I talked to people. Right. Yeah. And, and so they didn't have any reason to vote against me because they didn't like me. Right. That's fair. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what was the time where you had to work with uh, Democrats to get legislation done? Well, that was sunset evaluation. Okay. Just okay. Uh, because it, it had to be, there were an equal number of people on the mm -hmm. committee that got the report from the staff about what they thought ought to be done. And right. There'd be an equal number of us on the summer study committee. It really lasted longer than the summer. Uh, who would decide what was going to be in the final bill. And there would be a Republican sponsor and a Democrat sponsor, and they go over in the Senate the same way. Mm -hmm. And so that required the, except this one case I told you where they right. decided to fool around yeah. with us, uh, that would be a case where you had to uh, work together. But I didn't pay much attention to the, the politics. I was pretty neutral on the, on the politics because I, was, you know, I wasn't a diehard Hmm. Uh, I remember I killed a Republican bill once. Oh, really? Okay. There, was, there was a limit, and there still is today, on the amount of money that corporations and unions can give to political mm -hmm. candidates and, and parties. Yeah. And the Republicans said, well, we got an advantage on that because there are a lot more corporations giving money than there are unions. So yeah. they put in a bill that said uh, uh, it increased the amount. I don't know what it was from, 1000 to 4000 or something like that. Yeah. And they came to me and said, you'll vote for this, right? And I said, wrong. I yeah. said, I don't want more money in politics. Yeah. I don't care if we, if the Republican Party gets a greater majority of it. Yeah. I don't want to increase what it costs to run for state representative, among other offices. Yeah. So I said, no. And they said, ah. Yeah. And, and I don't, honestly don't remember if that bill passed or not. Yeah. Uh, but he was going to have to go and convince somebody else to vote for it. I, apparently, I, was a, I may have been the 51st vote the way yeah. he, he wouldn't believe me very often. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess yeah, they were surprised. Yeah, interesting. Huh. And how important do you think it was to work with the other side? Well, I just couldn't tell the. I mean, I didn't place an importance on it. I just did it. Right. Is, I, just natural. There, there, there's there's votes over there and people over there yeah. that I need to convince and I want to convince. Yeah. I don't want them. I don't want them to vote against me because of politics, mm -hmm. and I want them to feel as if they're being equally treated. As a matter of fact. 
I tried my best to treat them equal in another way. There was there were two microphones at the front of the house, and the Republicans sat on one side and they always spoke on right. one side. But there was a you could ask a, a, a the author of a bill a question. So you raise your hand, say question, mm -hmm. and the speaker recognizes you. So you go up and ask the author mm -hmm. a question. And depends on whether it's a Republican or Democrat bill. I was always a Republican. It, yeah. when, when it was my bill and they were asking me a question, no. When it was not my bill, okay. I would go up to the Democrat side and ask the Republican who was on the Republican side, ask him a question. Mm -hmm. And then after I had an answer, got an answer from my question, normally the person asking the question would move over to his Republican side. Okay. I just stayed on the Democrat side. Interesting. So then uh, that was not an accident. I said, I didn't want to think that I was being standoffish. You know? right. I could only speak from the Republican side. So that was yeah. one of the things that I did to make them feel more comfortable. That plus getting yeah. some of their bills out of my right. out right. of my committee. I don't think they consider me to be a uh, standoffish or uh, you know, right. anti-Democrat at all. Sure, okay. Yeah, okay. I, I killed a lot of bills, but they were equally Republican as, as committee chairman. Right. I think they were equally Republican as well as Democrat. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, what would you say the public doesn't know about how the Indiana General Assembly operates? Some of them know about the money, uh -huh. and some of them don't. Okay. Uh, is and the lobbying, yeah. the money passed by the lobbyists to the campaign committees of the legislator. So uh, I, a lot of them do. I th I think that that's that I think people becoming more, nationally people becoming more and more, uh, and, and the people uh, I don't want to mention any names right, nationally, right. but there are people who are speaking, uh, collecting more and more of their money on a, from people instead of big lump sums. Mm -hmm. And so people are becoming more educated because they're being told by these candidates for president, give me a right. few bucks and I won't go to the, the billionaires to get my money. Right. So I think they're more and more educated about that. Yeah. But they don't know what to do about it. Right. I mean, the, the one thing they can do is vote for the people who say that. Yeah. But uh, I don't know that they're going to they're going to do that. But that's right. a, that's the one thing that they don't know that they should know. They would not be shocked or surprised about anything else, about the process that I've described, about mm -hmm. going through committees mm -hmm. and getting other people to vote for you and explain yeah. it. They would say, oh yeah, I guess that's what I would have expected. But I think that some of them mm -hmm. would be surprised by the money. Yeah, okay. Again, I don't think anybody's been bribed. Right, right. Unless you call campaign donations bribed, right. which I do. Yeah. <laughs> depends, yeah, it depends on the person's <laughs> definition, but yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. Okay. Um, let's see, moving on to, I guess, talking about more now on, uh, on legislative work and committee work, what would you say was the most controversial legislative issue during your time in the Assembly? Probably the lottery and the paramutual. Okay. That's most, that's, that's got the most interest from the people. Yeah, okay. And eventually somebody said, well, we're going to put this out, this question out to the people about whether we ought to have a lottery. Yeah. And that occurred, I think the vote of that occurred in 1988. Mm -hmm. And the people favored it, including the people and the voters in, in my district. I'd always opposed it. 
because it's what I call a regressive tax, mm -hmm. it's paid for by people with a smaller amount of money. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't buy lottery tickets because I right. know I know that I'm only on yeah. average going to get half my money back. Right. Right? Yeah. I have a ten dollar bet, I'm going to get five dollars back on average. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I don't do that. And the people that I see at gas stations buying them, yeah, I figure. Well, they're looking for a lucky break, but I know that with very few exceptions, it's not coming. Sure. So anyway, the people, uh, so I'd always oppose. I said, no, I'm not going to vote for the lottery. And then there was a state, uh, and then it got approved by the people. Mm -hmm. That was a smart move on the pro-lottery side. Yeah. So I had no choice but to support it. It was going through. Yeah. without my vote, but I had to vote for that. And then there was a state senator who who loved horses and the horse okay. industry. Yeah. And that was Larry Borst, a good guy. I mean, he was mm -hmm. Senate Finance Committee chairman forever, and he did a really great job. He died yeah. recently, I, I believe. But he was uh, a good yeah. guy, good yeah. legislator, yeah. but we diverged on the interest of gambling. He, he, he had to have paramutual betting to support mm -hmm. the horse racing industry. Right, yeah. And I didn't want that part of it. So he had sent over bills before, and I had always found a way to defeat them in the House. Mm -hmm. Well, the lottery bill came over from the Senate, which I had to vote for, and he had attached to it the, his paramutual bill. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. <laughs> so I'm thinking, oh, yeah. can I still vote? Do, yeah. what, what do I do now? Yeah. Well, I knew it was going to pass anyway. Yeah. And so I voted for it, but that was the most controversial one. That was my hardest vote, where I voted for something. I didn't really want either of them, no paramutual, no lottery. Mm -hmm. But I had, I, you know, people had spoken. Sure, so I had, yeah. That was, that was my hardest vote that I ever had to pass. Yeah. Oh, the second hardest was uh, Doc Bowen's uh, property tax reform. Mm -hmm. As soon as he got to be governor, which was a, a few years after I'd voted for him for speaker, <laughs> right. uh, he, he said that property taxes are too high. We needed to shift some of the burden from property taxes to income taxes and sales taxes. Mm -hmm. That was hard to get through because there was a conservative group who didn't believe the property taxes would go down. We were increasing income and sales tax, yeah. and they fought like hell against it. So okay. that was a really, really uh, hard vote to cast. And Oh, uh, Doc, even though Republican majorities, Doc had to get two Democrats in the Senate to vote for it, yeah. or it wasn't going to pass. Right. And so he, he convinced two of them to vote for it. And the next time they ran for, their, to, for re election to the Senate, they mm -hmm. lost. Oh, wow. They both lost. So he ended up getting them both state jobs. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he, took, he took care of them. Yeah. And so he had to have their vote. They voted for him. And, and in politics, you generally, you, you generally take care of people that just so it was everybody expected him to take care of them and yeah and he did there's a little bit of the seamy side and you get some unqualified people I mean if you're gonna if you really want to reward somebody you got to get them a salary that pays something and the right. state in the state government or even local government that means you get a higher up job yeah sure and then you get a higher up job and you don't have any qualifications for it that can be a problem yes now, you can survive in that position if you're really if you, if you really just if you take advice from, from, if you get some knowledgeable people around right. to help you, and you and you just want to impose something on you, yeah. on, on, on somebody, and you just say to somebody who's knowledgeable, hey, is this a good idea or this is not a good idea? Yeah. And you and you take the, their directions. But 
Yeah, that's the way it was. There wasn't a lot of that, but you, you did tend to put your friends, if you trusted somebody. Sure. Uh, there was a, a very good uh, member of the house named Dick Benning from, uh, uh, from Lafayette, and he, he dropped out after a few years to run for Congress, and he lost. Mm -hmm. Well, Doc Bowen rec recognized his talent when he saw it, so he made him the state of the, the head of the, of the State Highway Commission. Yeah. And I was happy with it. He didn't know anything about state highways. He, didn't, he couldn't build a road if he had been given a shovel. But he was really smart, yeah. and he learned from other people, so I was very happy. That was one case where rewarding somebody okay. for, for being a good person yeah. and being knowledgeable and smart uh, was, was the right thing to, to, yeah, okay. to, 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 to currently do. Interesting, so. yeah. Huh. Um. <clears throat> what legislation did you work hardest on, you feel like? Which one took up most of your time or... Well, I made a laundry list. Yeah. Just in case you asked that Perfect. question. Perfect. All right. Let's hear it. Yeah. I picked out about a dozen of the bills that I really was in love with. Out of the 200 that I yeah. got passed into law, there were about a dozen that I was really in love with. Yeah, okay. Sure. Uh, one of them occurred in 1971. That was called the Deceptive Consumer Sales Act. Okay. And that's the one, anybody can use it, but that's the one that the Attorney General uses all the time. You'll occasionally see where he files a big lawsuit. Mm -hmm. If you've been deceived, if somebody has deceived you into buying something, yeah. that's basically what it says, yeah. you can be sued for that civilly. It wasn't a criminal law. Yeah. And But in a lot of those cases, it's just a small sale and not one, one person can't afford to go out and, mm -hmm. and sue for $100. Right. And so the Attorney General can gather people up and bring a big lawsuit against them and really nail them okay. for a lot of money and stop that from happening. Yeah. So I was the most pleased. I wrote that bill, mm -hmm. and there used to be a uniform code commission, a, a national uniform code commission, mm -hmm. and they would come up with these ideas on a national basis and then send them out to the legislature okay. to look at. Yeah. So I got that one, and I said, hey, this is what I'm interested in. So I looked at it and looked at it and looked at it, and I said, this won't work. Yeah. This will not work. Yeah. And so I rewrote it okay. and made it so it would work and got it passed. About a year later, the Uniform Commission on State Laws withdrew that bill, <laughs> withdrew that proposal. But I, but I did get that right. It works, and I'm really proud of that one. Um, then there was the, uh, uh, the Uniform Arbitration Act, which I had become, which I passed in 1969. Mm -hmm. I did pretty quickly get into some of the bigger bills. That was, sure. I don't, that was only my second session. Yeah. I became less proud of that over the years. Okay. Because it seemed like a really great idea at the time because you could, instead of suing somebody, you could agree to arbitrate it. Right. And there was a uni National Uniform Arbitration Association uh, that you can get, hire somebody to arbitrate the answer for you. And so yeah. that's a good idea. But what's been happening recently is the corporations have been putting that on the fine print of your business deals with consumers okay. that you won't sue them if you'll, you'll, you'll go to arbitration, yeah. where they have a big advantage yeah. and uh, you can't get anybody, you can't get anybody the, the necessary number of people together for a class action, where somebody had just been damaged for $100, mm -hmm. you can't afford to sue, you can right. still sue. That doesn't, the Uniform Arbitration right. Act doesn't stop you from suing. But if you can only sue for $100, yeah. you're not going to do it's that. No lawyer right. would take your yeah. take your case. But now the big companies like the credit card companies, you look at the fine print, you'll see that you have agreed 
to arbitrate any disputes that you have with your credit card company or your bank or mm -hmm. anybody else. And they use that. You can't, basically, you can't sue them anymore. Even individually, as I said, it's hard to sue them for $100. Yeah. And so I've become less proud of that one. Maybe I shouldn't even have mentioned it, but that's part of my history. Okay. <laughs> well, that's fine. <laughs> then, yeah. then in 1975, I created what we, I called the county court. Okay. We had just abolished justices of the peace. Uh -huh. I don't know if you've even heard of them. But they're used to, they used to be whole, small town justice. Okay. If you got a traffic ticket, you go to your local JP. Or if you wanted to sue somebody for $100, you could. You could afford to sue for $100 back then. Go to the JP. But these were, just, these were not lawyers. These were just uh, the, oh, okay. the person who lived across the street from me. Yeah. Who used to be in, I think, the dry cleaning business. Yeah. <laughs> Once we became a JP. <laughs> so we said, nah. So the legislature agreed to abolish them. Right. But we didn't know what we would do with these smaller criminal and civil cases. So I spent a whole summer writing a big, thick bill to create a new court, which I called the county court, uh, which would handle small claims, mm -hmm. uh, no lawyers. Yeah. You didn't have to have a lawyer. We eliminated almost all the rules of evidence. That's how it was done. Mm -hmm. you, know, you could just put anything in the evidence that you wanted to. Right. And if the other lawyer objected, yeah, he was out of, out of luck. Yeah. And that worked pretty well. And then... And there, there were probably, I don't know how many of those were created, 50 or 60 around the state to take the place of the JPs. And then the judges, the, the, the House Ways and Means Committee made a mistake. They paid them less than they paid the judges of the circuit and superior courts. Okay. Enough, to, I don't know what it was, $20,000 less. Yeah. And that was noticed by oh, the judges sure, of the county yeah. courts. So what they did was, they went to their local legislator and they said, why don't you change our county court into a superior court? Uh, okay. And the local legislator said, oh, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> and they wanted to end it. So slowly they were being eliminated yeah. and changed into superior courts. Well, and eventually they were, you never heard of them because they're all gone now. Mm -hmm. They all became superior courts. But what I made sure happened on the way was that they retained a small claims calendar with the same rules. The, the mm -hmm. person could just walk in and sue for a small amount yeah. of money. I wouldn't recommend suing a credit card company. Well, yeah, that's, not, that's not a small one, yeah. Yeah, you, you, <laughs> you're going to have a big, yeah. uh, expensive lawyer come yeah. and squish you. Yeah. <laughs> but on the other hand, if you wanted to sue the local grocery or something, yeah. you could do that. Sure. Uh, and vice versa. And the county, uh, I, I also made sure to keep the, the misdemeanor uh, jurisdiction with Mm -hmm. the new superior courts. There's, there's still, there's the old superior courts who have full jurisdiction. So old circuit and the old superior courts who handle all misdemeanors and all civil and all probate yeah. and things like that. But the, the ones who switch from county court to superior court just have the small civil claims mm -hmm. and the criminal, small criminal claims like misdemeanors. And I think they take one low level of uh, felons. So that remains. Yeah. It's in a different form and okay. without the name of county court. Interesting, yeah. Then um, I passed, in 1977, I passed one bill that saved cities from bankruptcy. Now, oh, what okay. happened with, it involved the police and fire pension programs. They had really super generous pension programs. After 20 years, you could retire and begin immediately receiving 
a very uh, uh, very good mm -hmm. pension benefit. So you could retire at age 40. Yeah. And for the rest of your life, you would be receiving pension, very generous pension contributions sure. on a monthly basis. And then the city never planned for that. None of them ever started funding it from the beginning, which goes way back. Yeah. It went back, that system went back 30 or 40 years where the legislature just told the cities, here's this, here's what you're going to pay to the policemen and firemen, because the city policemen and firemen had a lot of leverage with the right. with the legislators. And so it came down, then, then, then that pension program met up with Doc Bowen's property tax reform bill. Okay. And it came to a bad end. Yeah. Because uh, that pension or uh, uh, property tax reform bill prohibited increasing property taxes. It allowed a minimal increase each year for cost of living, that type of thing. But the mayors were no longer able to uh, to take on the still coming online pension benefits. Right. And they said, the hell, we can't increase the property tax. We used to, they used to be able to go in and increase the property tax to pay the policemen and fire and pension benefits. Yeah. Couldn't do that anymore. <laughs> So they were they were screwing other programs, you know. They were killing them, and and they couldn't start new ones, and they were pulling their hair out. And I immediately drew up a um, a bill to resolve that. By the way, I was doing my own pension engineering back then okay. with the, with, the, with one of the first calculators ever put out. It was by Texas Instruments. Okay. Yeah. Who, who the head of Texas Instruments was a semi crazy guy who ran for president. I can't think of his name. Oh, okay. You know, the really one who did pretty well. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, okay. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I used that, and it did not have a folding decimal point. <laughs> but I had to figure the pension costs yeah. and how I was going to reform that. I finally using that, that really rudimentary uh, calculator to do that, and I introduced it, and the policeman and fireman immediately killed it. Of course, <laughs> and I kept introducing, introducing, introducing year after year after year, yeah. until and I kept telling. I said, so "You're breaking the cities." Yeah. I said, "Nah, I don't see that." And they, they didn't see it at the time. Finally, in 1977, they came to me after I introduced it. They came to me and said, hmm. "Okay, we understand what you're talking about. <laughs> the city don't have any money." <laughs> okay. And they said, "If you exempt yeah. the people who are currently policemen and firemen, yeah, we'll let you get it through." We won't support you, but we'll, we'll let you get it through. Mm -hmm. And it got through. That, uh, and so that saved, literally saves cities from bankruptcy. Yeah. I'm, I'm really, t today, yeah, sure. happy, happy with, with, uh, with that bill. Yeah, wow. Um, I was, in 1975, I was the author of the Juvenile Code. I didn't have very much to do with writing that, but I was ha happy to mm -hmm. carry that. Um, in 1984, I came up with the thought that, you know, we ought to be doing more remediation of our kids in public schools who weren't doing well. Mm -hmm. And there was no way, you know, they weren't doing it, they just simply weren't doing it. They were just either holding them back a year or more, more than likely passing them forward. Without. Right. And so I came up with a bill that I called testing and remediation, which did that. It tested everybody and found out who the worst, uh, worst kids were who were doing the worst. Mm -hmm. And I talked to the superintendent of public instruction for, to get the number off that. And he said, well, it ought to be about the bottom 10 or 15%. And then the state would provide money for remediation, usually in the mm -hmm. summer. They'd have to go to school yeah. and get caught up. And that was just a great law. And that's all it was intended to do. Mm -hmm. And then Bob Orr <laughs> discovered it. And he said, in fact, he ran on it for re-election 
oh, wow. one time as if it was his own bill, and I didn't mind. He was, yeah. oh, I liked him. <laughs> but then he changed. He came along. He changed it. He started calling that I Step. Okay. Uh, and that's the one that had become infamous. And I don't tell people that anymore that I started I Step yeah. because the legislature, after my time, started using that to grade not just students. Huh but teachers and whole school systems and, and individual schools. And that's yeah. still in the headlines today. Oh, wow. They're still fighting over that yeah. because the last, they call, it, they call it a different name now than ISTEP. Yeah. It just changed because the last round of testing showed that a lot of schools failed. And suddenly, whoa, a lot of schools failed, including schools in my district. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't have that. So just this last, they're in the process right now uh, of, of changing that to say, wait a minute, we're not going to fail any school systems mm -hmm. or any teacher because of the results of that test. We're going to look at it for a year or two. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I was really proud of my initial effort. And it's still being used for that. The kids yeah. are still being, the lower part of the kids are still being taken aside, mm -hmm. and the state gives them some money to, to, to do remediation. Yeah. And so I'm still happy with that part of it. Okay, sure. <laughs> um, I was the, uh, in 1973, I was the uh, sponsor of the Endangered Species Law. Oh, okay. Frank O'Bannon sent that over to me. He was governor. Interesting. He, he was governor for quite a while. Yeah. He went on to become governor, but when yeah. he was a state senator, he said, Ray, I got this interesting bill. And I said, let me read it. And I said, okay, that sounds like a good thing to do. Mm -hmm. It kind of matches up. There's a, you might not even know there was a there's a state endangered species well, as well as a federal endangered species law. Right. So I, uh, I, didn't, I didn't write that one either, but I read it carefully and I liked it. Yeah, okay. Uh, then in 19, uh, 1974, I'm kind of jumping around here, sorry. That's okay. No, it's fine. In 1974, I carried uh, the ethics law. Okay. That didn't work so well. Yeah. <laughs> because we couldn't regulate money and campaign contributions. Yeah. And it's never going to work until we can, but the Supreme Court, as you know, has put a big, huge obstacle in front of that. Yeah. But I passed it, and we did. The, we required them to report. That was the reporting law. Mm -hmm. They had to report where they got money and who they got it from. That, that right. type of thing. So at least people could look and see where they were getting money from. Uh, then in 1978, I passed a plea bargaining law. Prosecutors used to take cases, and they, but most cases in most jurisdictions are plea bargained out. Mm -hmm. Maybe 90% of them. Less, less than 10% of them actually go to trial. They're almost all plea bargains. Right. Uh, and they would just reach a deal with the defendant, and, and that was, they'd go to the judge and say, we got it worked out, and the, and the defendant would, uh, would, would have to obey the, 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 the agreed upon. He'd go to jail for a year instead of the five years that he was worried about. Yeah. The victims were never consulted. And they were mad. Oh, yeah, sure, yeah. So I, I passed a yeah. law that said the prosecutor has to notify the victim yeah. and talk with them. Yeah. You know, the victim could never just make you know, the final disposition. The right. prosecutor still has the authority, and sure. he has to, to make the final plea bar. But he had to listen to the, 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 the right. victim yeah. and see what they had to say before the, yeah. the plea bargain was put into effect. Yeah. Um, then let me just throw out one more, that's the um, okay. 1984. This was a part of the sunset evaluation process. Mm -hmm. We had a fire marshal's office and then we had the uh, ABC office, Administrative Building Council. And both of them, among other things, 
had a building code. Mm -hmm. Fire marshal had a building code, and the uh, administrative building council had a building code. But they didn't always match. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so you can either follow one or the other. In some cases, they, they, they work together a lot. So when the Sunset Committee went through that area, I said, whoa, we got to do something about that. Sure. There's, no point, there's no point in having a separate, each has their own separate commission. There was the Fire Marshal Commission and the Administrative Building Council Commission. Right. And so what I finally decided ought to be done is that you abolish both and combine them into one commission to serve both the fire marshal and the building people. Yeah. And then to top it off, I abolished all of their rules. All okay. of them. Yeah. Uh, it, it effective in two years. So they had the two year period to get together, to get to know each other and work on new rules. And therefore I figured to get one joint commission, they would get together and they wouldn't make rules that contradicted each other. Or at least if they did, they'd catch it and they'd, they'd change it. So they did that, it worked. And, uh, and I got a great big plaque for that. I got a huge plaque with a piece of the USS Indianapolis from it on oh, wow, okay. from the people, from the administrator after huh. that. And so that solved a lot of problems and I was really happy with with that one. So yeah. that's the top 10 or 12. No, that's good. That's that's very useful and interesting. So that's great. Thanks for bringing that. Um, <clears throat> let's see. I'm uh, seeing here what we haven't covered yet. Uh, is there was there a moment where you where you had to overcome, I guess, a really big hurdle or something during your time in the legislature? Uh, Maybe uh, you already mentioned a little bit about that. I'm not sure, but little adversarial uh, 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 conditions. You know, uh, well, there was a time I had to decide if I wanted to go to the, this isn't going to sever to the Senate. Okay. Our, our state senator wasn't going to run again. Yeah. And I had to decide whether I wanted to be a senator. And I explained earlier there was a lot of advantages that way because of the directions that the bills sure. pass and there's, there's there's fewer senators right. than there are House members. But and I had a long talk with some senators about that. And they said, well, you know, you lose your entire seniority. Yeah. You used to, it's like you're a real rookie if you come over to the Senate. Yeah. And you don't, you know, you get to choose your seat last. It's not some necessarily big things, but committee chairmanships. The mm -hmm. Senate has been really sticklers about observing seniority for committee chairmanships. Yeah. The House never has. They just pick the best people for them. Yeah. And so they said, you're not going to have a committee chairmanship for a while. And the seniority hurts in a lot of ways. So I decided not to uh, not to do it. Just I felt I was able to be effective in the House. I'd been there a long time. I knew, yeah. I knew how the system worked. I knew the people. I knew senators. And so I figured out I was getting along okay where I was. Yeah. So, okay. I, so I stayed. But there wasn't any big... Uh, there weren't any, any really highs or lows or mm -hmm. anything where I thought I'd change, you know, drastically change directions right. or anything. Okay, sure. Um, in your opinion, what is the most important work of the Indiana General Assembly? Well, it's changed over the years. <laughs> yeah. This is going to sound put downish, and it is. That's okay. It's to stay out of trouble. Yeah. And not do something that people were sorry about later. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they seem to be doing more things that people disapprove of than, than approve of. I, I, I really shouldn't say that because there are some good things. There's, some, there's a lot of necessary things they do, mm -hmm. like the budget. Sure. Uh, but they, people are 
as, I think, as unhappy with them as they are mm -hmm. happy. Okay. Um, and, and, and that opinion is held by mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, politicians aren't. There, there have been up and ups and downs in the lives of politicians. There have been some years where they were greatly disrespected. As a matter of fact, I lost in one of those years. I lost in 1990, uh, back in the days when term limits were a really big deal. Yeah. And, and almost passed. They did pass in some places. Yeah. But I've been there 24 years, and my opponent ran solely okay. on the platform of he's been there too long. Yeah. yeah. And she won. That was wow. the, that was the hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, to push it. Yeah. He'd been there too long. Not a single substantive issue. She was not able to point to the single thing that she thought that I had done wrong. Wow, I've been there too long. Yeah, twenty-four years. So the way people think about their government depends a little bit on what year you're in. The right. Was, but Ronald Reagan mm -hmm. was one of those who turned people against government. You know the old mm -hmm. saying. Uh, 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 I'm from government. I'm here to help you. Yeah. You know, that's, that people ask the punchline. Yeah. Um, he helped to, uh, 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 that spread, widespread. But then there's been years when people feel better about their government. Mm -hmm. Right now, well, people don't respect their government at the moment because of the mess that Congress has gotten themselves mm -hmm. in, the lack of cooperation. Mm -hmm. And that spoils the that spoils the interaction between the public and politicians right. at the very top of, of government. People notice that. I mean, they know mm -hmm. that all they're out to do is defeat the other one and to re mm -hmm. retain control. Mm -hmm. The whole, And that's one way people look at government. In fact, I think that's the way many congressmen look at their job. It's not to come to Washington and solve the problems. It's come yeah. to Washington and be part of the process yeah. and continue to be part yeah. of the process. They look at it as a process sure. instead of going to Washington and solving things and getting out. Yeah. And, 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 and I've read that, that that's really the way they think of it. Right. That's why, that's not at all how I thought about the legislature. Now, it turned out I became part of the process, but it was only because I kept finding new problems to solve. Right. I did, there was going to be a day when I was going to quit on my own. It, it was actually going to end with the sunset laws. Okay. I had felt I had become less and less interested in what was going on. So when the last sunset bill passed, I was going to retire. Mm -hmm. And that would have been only two more years, one more term. Yeah. It would have been the end. So I was going to quit in two years anyway. So I was not totally upset to lose right. uh, in 1990 because I was going to retire in 1992. I, I've, I, I felt I'd cured as many problems mm -hmm. that, as I could. And... I was tired of it, and that was the end. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, so I guess going into some legislative issues from your time in the General Assembly that I came across in some old newspapers, um, just I was trying to find some things that looked like they're being debated and kept coming up and again um, in the papers. Let's see. Um, one of them was, I think we already covered the, the ethics one requiring financial, actually, not sure if we talked about this one. Uh, do you remember anything about an ethics bill requiring the financial disclosures by members of the General Assembly? That was what I was talking okay, about. Okay, you were talking yeah, about I, that I was, I was a sponsor of that. Yeah, okay, that's right. Yeah. Okay. And, 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 and to make sure it's understood, yeah. they're, they're, they developed this form that said, uh, okay. who, you know, fill in the names of, of 
companies and people that you've received contributions from. Mm -hmm. Another column, fill in the name where your spouse has received. And, and, and places where you where you work right. and your spouse works, yeah. and it covered tried to cover all of the relevant areas, and in that in that instance, it did a good job. You yeah. had to disclose all that, and that has been mm -hmm. of some help. Sure, but still, the money keeps coming in and influencing legislation. Yeah, there, there's as much disclosure as you can. You can't after the disclosure. The next step is changing. Mm -hmm. the, what happens, and that hasn't occurred, and that's because of the Supreme Court. Uh, okay, all right. Um, let's see. Uh, I know you talked about education and um, uh, some of the programs there for evaluating students. Uh, did you could you elaborate more about the renewal of teaching licenses? Uh, yeah, I was part of that. Mm -hmm. Bob Orr came in one year, Governor Bob Orr, with his, what he called the A-plus program. Okay. He wanted, I by accident, that was my only two years on the education committee. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Ironically, yeah. And uh, so I got to be a part of that. And we looked at teacher licensing and we said, well, the... Uh, because you got your license 30 years ago didn't mean that you'd kept mm -hmm. up to date and, and and that's what was happening if you, yeah. if you got a license 30 years ago you, you were never looked at again yeah and you might be a really good teacher today or you right. might not be so we decided that we ought to impose some up-to-date requirements mm -hmm. like going back and get a little well, in my case as a lawyer continuing yeah. I have to go back to school two days a week right uh, uh, two days a year okay and we decided that would be a good thing for teachers to do would be to go back and, mm -hmm. and get some continuing education. Yeah. And many professions are doing that now. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's become, I think, overwhelming. I haven't kept up to date on what's happened since then. I, my children are all educators mm -hmm. and their spouses. I have two children and two, and they're both of their spouses who are teachers. Okay. One, of them, one set of them in Florida, and they have the same problem. They're always complaining about new things being put upon them by the legislature. Mm. The legislature gets complaints, oh, we're not, our kids aren't learning enough in school. Legislators do something about it. So my daughter in Florida is particularly out, uh, outstanding about that. And my son here in Indiana says the same thing to me. Mm -hmm. They just keep putting more and more things on the teachers. And it's not just the license renewal, but mm -hmm. that's part of it. Uh, and that's, they, they, things change. They want us to do more work, and therefore we get less teaching done. Yeah. So it is true that there's a lot of resentment by teachers, okay. and since it's my own kids complaining, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I've asked them to be more detailed. Yeah. I, I, I believe them. Yeah. Um, for instance, they, uh, I think just a year ago, they put on a teacher's requirement that part of your continuing education that you have to go back, you have to work for a corporation to find mm -hmm. a company to find out what happens in the real world in that company. Yeah. And you're basically free work for that company and the teachers have risen up against that and this very year the legislature I think is in the very process of mm -hmm. re repealing that or doing something about yeah. it. Anyway. Interesting. So yeah, there's been problems with the licensing. The, right. so the continuing education is good, but the question is when do you overdo it? Sure. You know, my, my, two, my two days a year I think it's about right. Right. So finding the balance. And, Find the proper balance. Um, 
I came across another bill. I looked like you sponsored this one to fight littering and uh, try to promote recycling in the city. Can you tell me about that? Or? If that's the one from, uh, let's see, 1984, I think. Um, that was the one, the solid weight, no, 1990. That was, that was the one where, uh, if I've got the, if we're on the same one, mm -hmm. it's a solid waste district bill. Okay. We created solid waste districts uh, to deal with the problem of, of, of recycling. And mm -hmm. they were supposed to go out and make sure that there was recycling. Mm -hmm. uh, and that worked for quite a while, and I think it's still working to some extent. Mm -hmm. They. They've been, they were given a couple years later. They were given the additional burden of uh, of, of, of poisonous chemicals, uh, um, you know, like battery full of batteries and mm -hmm. other things. Uh, yeah. To, which isn't recy exactly recycling, but to get rid of and collect. And they do that more in my county. They're doing more of that than anything. Okay. But then recycling has become a problem in recent years because there's fewer and fewer companies that want the end product. Mm -hmm. you know, the glass, the plastic that were being successfully collected. Yeah. I've had several uh, people in the business who tell me there's not much of a market anymore. Yeah. But we set up a system for the counties to deal with and encourage them to do the recycling. Mm -hmm. And that's great. But now we have to, and now that China has stepped in and refused mm -hmm. to accept some of our mm -hmm. uh, end result recycling, it's become even more of a problem to properly use yeah. materials. Sure. There's got to be a solution to that. Somebody's got to come up with some kind of way, yeah. not just to collect recyclables, yeah. but to do something useful with them. Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> one bill that seemed like it was pretty controversial in your time, I, I saw a lot of, of articles about this. Um, There's a bill that was about, uh, I guess it would impose no restrictions during the first three months in regard to abortion. And uh, do you remember much about that or some of the debates going on? I can give you the history. I was here for the complete uh -huh. complete history of oh, abortion. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, the Supreme Court mm -hmm. in Roe v. Wade decided that in most cases there was not going to be any limits on abortion and at all Mm -hmm. All laws in every state, of any degree of uh, having to do anything with abortion, were were void. Okay. So there were no restrictions on wow. abortion. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wish I could remember the year of, of Roe versus Wade. Yeah. Maybe it was 1973. Yes, yeah, sounds about right. It's somewhere around there. So I had a bill in conference committee. Mm -hmm. My fellow conferees were making clear to me it wasn't going anyplace. Yeah. <laughs> So we all decided that we, you, you wouldn't have, nobody would say unlimited, you know, like on the, mm. uh, at the end, end of six months, you could still have an abortion. Nobody wanted that. Right. So a bunch of, several of us who were conference committee members on this now dead bill said, hey, why don't we put in what restrictions we're allowed to do mm -hmm. and everybody will be semi-happy with it. And we did that. Okay. So I, I, I sponsored the first abortion bill mm -hmm. ever following the Supreme Court, it's following Roe versus Wade. Okay. And it has been, there's some people who've gotten in a mind every year recently to make it more and more restrictive. That was after my time. Yeah. And to this, they've reached a point where it appears as if 
they're passing things that they know are unconstitutional on purpose mm -hmm. and going to court with it. I don't understand that part of it. Mm -hmm. But uh, but it was less it was less controversial back in my day. Yeah. Just, we we just we looked at the Supreme Court decision and we said here's what they're going to allow us to restrict. Mm -hmm. We put it in the bill, and I think it may have passed unanimously. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, yeah. so, so I that's have pretty the, much a, a, a nonpartisan issue then. Yeah, everybody agreed there had yeah. to be some kind of right. So as I said, the nine months yeah. thing, we didn't nobody wanted that. Right. So, yeah, and and there, there was one. I was on the same committee uh, uh, with with a couple really well, one uh, with a Catholic, mm -hmm. and with another really. Strong uh, uh, Republican, mm -hmm. and they didn't want to do this, right? But they realized that it was gone. There was nothing. Yeah. And so we all reached agreement you know, across all the spectrum in the mm -hmm. General Assembly. Something needed to be done. Here's what the Supreme Court has made clear we can do. Since then, the, mm -hmm. the Supreme Court has been tested and allowed more and more restrictions. Yeah. Okay. Um. Let's see. What about uh, the creation of the White River State Park? I saw there was a debate about uh, whether to create the park or not, and uh, what was your role in that? Fairly big. Okay. Oh, okay. Interesting. I was on uh, WFYI Channel 20. Mm -hmm. Myself and Senator Mike Young were mm -hmm. asked by WFYI to have a, a debate about the future of White River State Park. Right. And we did. It had just been sitting there. Mm. There was a proposal to put the equivalent of, uh, it's got a bunch of name changes now, the, the mm -hmm. Deer Creek. Okay. I think they call it now Deer Creek. Yeah. Down there. Okay. And the commission, there was a White River State Commission that looked at it and looked at it and looked at it and looked at it and never said yes or no. Mm. So some of us came along and said, do whatever's the right thing, but do something. Don't just sit there. Mm -hmm. You've got some very developable land. The city of Indianapolis needs something. There's a lot of good projects that could mm -hmm. go into it. Do something. So uh, we had this debate. One, the one thing that they did was they tore down an architecturally significant grade school there mm. in the middle of the night, basically. Okay. <laughs> wow. And that received a lot of, because they knew they were going to have to what that cleared right. at some point. But then Deer Creek, if that's the right name, relocated in Hamilton County, which, which where it is today. So it was gone. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but then they, I think they put in something down there. Now I don't keep up on that. They, well, the, that's where the, the zoo is now. Yeah. The zoo has moved there. Right. And, oh, uh, there was the, uh, what's that Indian collection that's there now? Yeah, there's one well, of the museums. Well, there's there was a, 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 a fellow nationally who collected a lot of Indian. I wish I could think of his name and yeah. give him a little credit. Uh, after we've been through, he wanted to go donate his Indian collection mm -hmm. to the state. And Bob Orr called me up and said, would you, Ray, would you come down? He said, you've been, been a post. Oh, I had a problem with the Indiana State Museum, mm. which they wanted to build, and I was opposed to the way they wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. And he said, Ray, we got these free, this free museum going to be built by somebody else on, on this land. They said, do you have any objections to that? Mm -hmm. And I said, I think he expected me to, to object. And I said, no, as long as somebody else is paying for yeah. it, we'll give them the land. Sure. So he said, oh, thanks, and went out to, uh, but yeah, I fought Larry Borst on that. He mm -hmm. wanted not only paramutual petting, but he wanted this, the new state museum. And I looked at the what was in the current state museum, which was an old city hall. Mm -hmm. And I said, Larry, you, you walk in that 
that, that State Museum building, and you go ooh and ah, but you're ooh and ah in the building. Mm -hmm. It's a significant architectural building. Mm -hmm. And I said, if you look at the exhibits themselves, they're nothing. Mm -hmm. They're nothing. I said, I'm not going to agree to put lots of millions of dollars into a new building and then not have much in it. But then when, as soon as I left the legislature, or I got the, the bill passed, mm -hmm. and they've got better exhibits in it now. Okay. Yeah. So it was good that it was delayed. Right. <laughs> Things have changed. Yeah. 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 Circumstances. Um, let's see. Uh, I guess another legislative issue that it looked like was going on at the time was regarding, I guess, the busing legislation. Um, uh, do you remember much about that? or? Well, that was not, the legislature couldn't do anything about that. I guess really. there's mostly like a recommendation to Congress, it looked like. Well, there was a judge here, a, yeah. a federal judge whose name should pop to my mind, mm -hmm. who decided that children should be bused to equalize mm -hmm. uh, race in, mm -hmm. in, in schools. Yeah. And people didn't, uh, a lot of people didn't like that. Okay. And so, but the legislature couldn't do anything about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, but a lot of those people were the ones who ended up moving into my county, Hancock County, uh, which okay. I explained to you earlier, yeah. suddenly had a lot of people. Yeah. So that's how they got around the busing. And, and I, you know, so there were people on both sides. Some of them said, well, it's a good thing to integrate. Yeah. And other people said, that's fine, but they're right. taking the bus to school that's a long yeah. way away. Yeah. So that was a problem that was never addressed by the General okay. Assembly. Uh, because uh, because we couldn't. Right. We, the federal judge was saying that, that, that there was a constitutional, federal constitutional right, right that people had to be bused and to, yeah. to have in, attend integrated schools. So, yeah, so the state was, could only just offer just, the recommendation, and that was Yeah, there were some individual legislators that spoke out. But. Yeah, okay. Um, so now turning towards life after the Indiana General Assembly, um, how would you overall summarize your time as a state legislator? Well, I look back and figured it was a really hard time, lots and lots of work, but I was pleased with the results, so I was happy. Mm -hmm. But I knew that I couldn't sit there and do nothing for the rest of my life. Yeah. So sure. I said, what would I like to do now? And I found one of the things that was available was you could, you could be a citizen and run for a graduate of, uh, mm -hmm. of Indiana University and run for the IU Board of Trustees. So I did. Okay. And I ran on issues. Yeah. And I, I listed 10 things that I thought could be looked at and improved by the Board of Trustees about IU. And I ran against an incumbent who just said, you know, IU's a great place. I'm proud to be a, uh, an incumbent trustee. Please reelect me. Right. Well, uh, I won. Okay. And I won uh, several more times, spending nine years there. My interest really was in undergraduate education because the one thing mm -hmm. that I knew was that the graduate education was strongly favored by the administration, mm. and not just at IU, but everywhere. Yeah. All universities. Graduate education, and therefore the professors spent their time teaching graduate students and professional schools like law school and mm -hmm. medicine and the undergraduates were being shorted okay they were getting the leftovers they were getting the graduate the graduate students mm -hmm. who had to earn a living to right. remain in uh, graduate yeah. school they were teaching yes 
the undergraduates, right. or in some cases, a, a, a full professor would teach a class of 200, and then they would break up into smaller classes with graduate students, mm -hmm. explaining to them what they were just told by yeah. the full, full professor. And so that's what I was interested in, and that's what I worked on. And I was successful. The one thing I did, after I got to know people, and I, after, I, uh, after I was able to get a new president of the university who was sympathetic, mm -hmm. and I, I was able to go to the individual chancellors of all of IU's uh, campuses in different cities, and we were, were spread all over everywhere, mm -hmm. from New Albany to Gary to Richmond to Kokomo uh, to Fort Wayne, uh, and IUPUI, of course. Yeah. I was able to go to them for the big deal. I, I had found their graduation rates, and on every campus, in every case, their graduation rate was in the low 20 percentiles. Okay, And I said to them, look, why do we even have this mm -hmm. IU campus? Yeah. Why are you in existence? Why don't we get rid of you all? You're not doing any good. 20-some percent are graduating. Mm -hmm. And they just sat back and looked at me and looked at me and said, well, <laughs> maybe you have a point. So what they did, not me, I didn't, I didn't come up with programs. Uh, I just inspired them to come up with mostly remedi uh, uh, tuition, or tuition, uh, um, the remediation programs. Right. And they did that, they did it in lots of ways. They, they would, uh, particularly the freshman math, which at IU everybody had to pass, they said to me, that's where most of the students, even at Bloomington, failed, who dropped out of school. They couldn't do the math. Mm -hmm. So they did a couple of things. Number one, they took a one-semester course, and in, at, at the student's choice, they could enlarge it to a, a year. Right. There would be a student who would taken that course who would sit in, and at the end of the class, he'd raise his hand, and he would say, hey, if you got any questions, I'm, that's what I'm here for. Come see me. Yeah. There, there was... Uh, the kids were being taught in by in their dorms. There, there were things on TV screens that would teach them, mm. uh, and and in the main courses of residence hall, there were lots and lots of things that the, and these are the chancellors, not me, that came up with the yeah. idea, but they were forced. I forced them to come up with answers, and they did. And the IUPUI graduation rate, which wasn't much above twenty percent. Went to forty percent. Okay. Yeah. It worked. Yeah. And, and it's gone up since then, mm -hmm. uh, after I left. But it worked, and, and I could not be more proud yeah. of, of having you know that amounts to thousands of kids getting their degree. Right. That would not have otherwise had their degree. Sure. Gotten their degree if they if they hadn't been for all of these efforts by the by the chancellors. Yeah. So I'm wow. really happy about that. Yeah. Then at the very end of my nine-year career. I got in on the Bob Knight fiasco. Oh, okay. Really? <laughs> All right. That's interesting. I don't know if this is a relevant point to talk that, about. That's okay. It's, uh, <laughs> so what exactly happened? Uh, well, he did. He was accused of choking a kid. Okay, in yeah. In practice. Right. Uh, and they came to the trustees and did a couple of things. Number one, we, somebody went through, some administrator went through, and they found a videotape of the practice 
at which it occurred. Mm -hmm. So we could see it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't some basketball player saying, I choked, I got choked, and Knight saying, no, I didn't do it. Mm -hmm. We could see it. It was a very mild, you know, mm -hmm. he just kind of grabbed him around the shoulder, neck mm -hmm. area, mm -hmm. and said, hey, you need to do this differently. Mm -hmm. But that encouraged us to look into other problems that Knight was having. And yeah. I don't know if you're aware of the throwing the chair across I, I, the Yes, I, I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah. And there was, there was more. It got to the point where uh, Tom Erlich, who was president of IU at that time, called Bob Knight into his office and said, Bob, he did something too strong, I'm told. Mm -hmm. You've got to change some of these. You've got to be a little more gentlemanly about it. Mm -hmm. And Bob Knight said to him, I quit. Mm. He said, I got an offer from it was either New Mexico or New Mexico State. I quit. Yeah. And the trustees at the time, that wasn't me, the trustees at the time caved. They deserted their president, I'm told. Wow. And they, they gave him a long, long-term contract. They gave him complete control of Assembly Hall. Oh my gosh. And made, wow. but made, had to make Bob Knight think he was basically in charge and couldn't, yeah. couldn't be fired. And that was a problem. Yeah. Because sure. of the two members of the IU Board of Trustees, after the complaint about the neck, went out and, and went back and found all sorts of problems that Bob Knight was having over the years. Mm -hmm. And so uh, our public relations guy said, why don't we, why don't we put him on probation? And, and I, think he, I think the way he put it was, there's about a third of the people out there who hate Knight and would be thrilled if he fired him. There's a third of them who love him and are going to just like you for firing, and there's a third of them who look at him favorably. He did lots of good things. He followed the rules, for one thing. And he, he said, why don't we put him on probation? Mm -hmm. And so we did. Yeah. And then he, he did a lot of nasty, stupid things. Like he canceled his alumni meetings mm -hmm. in Chicago, Indianapolis, and Bloomington and blamed them. He said, oh, I may say something that the Board of Trustees might dislike. And then they say I violated the probation. Mm, okay. Which, and so he really ended yeah. up getting fired because of those things like that, yeah. than than actually doing anything wrong. Wow. So he did go up and he grabbed some kid by the arm, and some kid had said, "Hey, Knight, what do you think of?" And Knight grabbed him by the arm and said, "You can call me Coach, but okay, <laughs> or Mr. <Jeez>. Knight." <laughs> wow. So anyway, uh, the next time I ran for election. I don't know if it had anything to do with it, but I did not get reelected. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Wow. Okay. We went astray. Yeah. Um, let's see. What What is your favorite story or anecdote from your time as a legislator? That's asking me to be too thoughtful. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, not, and not giving me a week to think it over. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was the scares at the, at the end. Uh, I told you a couple stories about getting conference committee uh, uh, adopted. And there was a couple more that I didn't tell you about. But it was getting bills, it was getting bills passed. Um, oh, and it was a 50, it was a 50-50 session, which I think occurred in 19... 86 or 88, I'm going to say 88. Okay. And getting that resolved was the problem. Yeah. 
because there was 50 votes each. We, we couldn't, you know, nobody could get, right. nobody could control who was going to be speaker or a committee chairman. Yep. And finally, we did the only thing that it was possible to do. If you're going to do something that's the last choice, you do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, we had co-speakers that would alternate days. Okay, wow. And we had, we had joint committee chairmen. Interesting. And the Democrats got a lot of laughs about that because there was one, there was a Democrat who had made my joint committee chairman, mm -hmm. who everybody laughed. They came to me and said, oh, Ray, you're going to really love this. Because yeah. he was the kind of guy who did his own thing okay. and was kind of hard on other people. And, uh, and But I ended up getting along with him really well because I let him do some things that he wanted to do. Okay. So that was, then there was another 50-50 session a few years later. They could have resolved that. The Constitution requires that there be no more than 100 mm -hmm. House members. They could have gone down to 99 House members yeah. and solved that problem. But no, they didn't. So it happened a second time. And they still don't do it today, and I'll never understand why. But yeah, we had a, there, was a lot of, there was a lot of getting along in that session because sure, I bet. you had to get along with everybody. Uh, so that, but that was forced, and, but it worked. Yeah. It worked. I guess that's my story. All right. Yeah, that's, that's fine. Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> do you have any regrets as a legislator? I wish I'd have found a way to defeat the lottery and parimutuel betting is all, but that, yeah. was, that was a steamroller coming down the pike after, <laughs> after the voters approved it in a referendum. Right. Okay. <laughs> Um, what lessons, if any, did you learn uh, from your experiences? Uh, not to have an enemies list. Yeah. Okay. Because and that's paid dividends. Yeah. Everywhere. I I uh, I survived fifty years as county attorney mm -hmm. afterwards because I tried to get along with everybody, even though I had some strong opinions. Right. Uh, and. So, uh, so that was the biggest, the biggest thing I learned out of the whole process. Don't become a, don't be Nixon. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what advice would you give to future legislators or even current legislators? They, they can't follow my advice because it follows, because it means reducing the amount of money that it takes to I, I, I would, my choice would be to have public funding. Okay. That's hard mm -hmm. to do. But you have to give people who don't, you, you can't have a billionaire or even a millionaire come in mm -hmm. and buy a seat, or even worse, mm -hmm. you can't have lobbyists come in, give money to a legislator yeah. who buys a seat and then gives the, the lobbyists what they want. So the only way out of that is either to amend the Constitution, which isn't going to happen, mm -hmm. or uh, is to give public funding to congressmen, legislators, other people, mm -hmm. uh, to make, put them on an equal footing with the people who are right. given, given money by lobbyists or mm -hmm. against millionaires and billionaires. Yeah. And let them have the amount of money needed to make it a true contest. The other thing that's, that hurts partisanship is the control of legislative districts. And they're, they're making most, most seats in the legislature and the Congress 
are one-party seats. There's very few who changed hands. As I mentioned earlier, yeah. 44 House seats changed hands in the 1966 General Assembly. Uh, that doesn't happen now because the seats are because of the money right. and the seats are designed for either Republicans or Democrats. There are people working against that. My wife, who is a past member, or past state president of the League of Women Voters, had been working for years now to change that. Mm -hmm. And I have told her that it can't be done, that legislators aren't going to give up the control over what seat they occupy and the, and then the fact that they can make a seat fit their politics. Yeah. But she doesn't give up and she's still working as a League of Women Voters okay. member to, to this day. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, how has the state of Indiana changed over the course of your lifetime? Oh, the whole state? Yeah. Uh, well, there's a whole lot fewer farmers. Yeah. A <laughs> whole lot fewer. Yeah. We're, we're producing uh, more grain because we, mm -hmm. we farm better. Sure. But... The, but I know a whole high percentage of the farm. They've sold out to other people. They've just accumulated, mm -hmm. uh, and fewer and fewer people own more and more land. Yeah. Um, government has been, in many ways, is one of the things that hasn't changed. Okay. There was an effort made here a few years ago to eliminate township trustees, mm -hmm. which didn't go anyplace because all the township trustees, and there's a little over a thousand of them, mm -hmm. came to their legislators and said, don't eliminate my position. Yeah. And the legislator didn't really much care either way, so he's got some more than one person beating on him. He got a bunch of local township trustees saying, don't eliminate my job, and they didn't. Mm -hmm. Township trustees used to be important, more important than they are now. They do very little now. They do a little poor relief. They will put up a fence between neighbors if the neighbors can't agree. Right. That doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Um, the General Assembly changed in the way we discussed before that they meet every year. Mm -hmm. uh, the governor can be reelected uh, one time. Um, Transportation has has changed, yeah. But not but not as much as it should. There's um, that's a that's still a big problem because of pollution problems and mm -hmm. uh, and that needs to change, but it hasn't changed. And it's hard to change. Sure. We're changing more and more from coal electric plants to uh, to uh, gas electric plants, but that is. That isn't the end solution. Mm -hmm. Gas still produces uh, H2O. Mm -hmm. uh, so I find a lot of things very much the same as they were when okay. when when I was young. It's uh, it's warmer. Mm -hmm. It really is warmer. As I said earlier, I was born and raised in Logansport, which is a little farther north. I remember spending my winters in snow and on yeah. ice yeah and that didn't happen now yeah that didn't happen i, I spent we, we would grab on to to the rear fenders of cars and 
and, and they'd, they'd pull us down streets on our sleds. Wow. And I remember driving on ice and snow. There was just so much more snow back then. Yeah. Our winters are really light now. Yeah. And of course, everybody knows there's a reason for that. Yeah. But but it's not being properly addressed. Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to come to a bad end because we're not addressing sure. that problem. Yeah. Um, how has politics changed in the state of Indiana? Money. Yeah. It's just, it just it, it, it's, it's all money. There's about the same level of competence in, in the legislature. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and they're all doing about the same thing. But they're so reliant on money that something can get done only if, uh, if the lobbyists mm -hmm. are won over. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what, if any, enduring qualities do, Holzer, do Hoosers still have or hold dear? One of the things that I noticed more when I went to the state level is that Hoosiers are involved more locally than they are at state or national levels and they know what's going on locally and a small number follow what's happening at the state level and at the national level and at the um, at the world level mm -hmm. and I think that's about the same as it used to be people in some sense people used to be more wide-read than they are now so many people are getting their information over Facebook um, and newspapers are hurting. Uh, there, there, in my county, there used to be two newspapers. One of them called the uh, Hancock Democrat, one of them called the Hancock Republican. Yeah. Well, there's one today, and it's neutral, mm -hmm. as, as they would have to be. But information used to be spread locally through the newspapers, which my impression is that they were much more widely read back then. Yeah. The news was flavored by politics, but at least it was news. You'd read, I think, my impression is you'd read about something that happened in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. in your local partisan newspapers. Mm -hmm. But now the, sh the newspaper circulation is shrinking. I looked at the circulation figures of our local newspaper mm -hmm. I was shocked yeah. how low the circulation was. But, and so I asked people, how do you get your news? And, and they do get it over Facebook. Yeah. Uh, and that causes a lot of the news to be not true. Mm -hmm. There's more opinions. Yeah, that's, yeah. And that's, dis that's disturbing. Now, things were not any more true back in the days, the older days, mm -hmm. when you got your information from the Hancock Republican and the Hancock Democrat. It was all flavored back then in much right. the same way that Facebook is flavored now. Yeah. So I don't know if anything's, or, or if that's better mm -hmm. or worse, but it's a certainly a different way of receiving your news. Sure. And it's a lack of, and, and national politics is being spoiled by by opinions that are believed by people to be facts. Mm -hmm. And that is very disturbing. At least if we could all agree on facts, 
we could go our own ways on opinions about what right. to do about the facts, but people were mistaking opinions for facts. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I have one last question for you. Uh, what do you want Hoosiers to know about their role in relation to the function of the Indiana General Assembly? Oh, their things have really changed. Yeah. In my day, you had to call, and you could. There was a, I didn't have a personal phone, but there was a switchboard. Mm -hmm. And so people could call and could ask for me, but it almost never happened. Yeah. They could call and leave a message for me, and there were a half a dozen the General Assembly's work, workers on the phone, and they would write down, they would say, Sam Smith called, and here's what he wants you to know, and they would pass mm -hmm. that along to me. But that did not happen a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, there was no email back then. There were letters. If I got one letter a month, yeah. it was high. If I got one phone call every couple weeks, that was a high number. Now, the, the email has changed everything. It's cha in fact, it's changed people's email addresses. Um, some legislators have an email address that is well known. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but a lot of them change to an odd number, a diff different email address right. that only their staff reads. And, and the staff reads not just emails but letters. The staff tries to figure out what it is that is important and should be passed along to the legislator. And that's not bad to have some sorting, uh, but it's not the same thing as everybody being able to communicate to the legislator. What they'll get now is an email going into the legislator, mm -hmm. and my impression is that they'll get a response back, but not a lot of attention from the legislator. Mm -hmm. Now, in my day, there was one bill that had stirred people up, some teeny tiny bill, and somebody had stirred people up, and I got eight or eight or nine calls on it. Now that was a landslide. Yeah. Well, you just didn't get that. So if you heard from your constituents, it was it was a landslide. It really meant something because they went to a lot of trouble. Nowadays yeah. with emails, it's so easy once you find out how to do it, where mm -hmm. to send it. It's so easy for one person to send an email, a couple emails every week. Yeah. It's become too easy to contact your legislator. Right. And uh, as opposed to too difficult back mm -hmm. in my day. Interesting. Okay. Um, is there anything that you want to add or, or do we cover pretty much everything? Or I think you discovered everything possible that I... <laughs> that I could anyway any know. So <laughs> you've done a good job. Now the question is, is good. anybody in the future going to be listening to you and me talking? And I'm betting no. Well, I guess <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, I, <laughs> that's to be determined. So, <laughs> all right. Let's see. Turn these oh. off.